Welcome to Dialogue Choices Podcast. We'll be your inline entertainment. Inline, inline entertain. God damn it. Online. It's online. In, it's supposed to be in-flight in entertainment because I'm oh, so clever no and I was doing a bit and then I was like, ha, inline uh, skates, am I right? Or whatever the fuck I said instead. <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. Who cares? Everything's dead. Comedy is dead. YouTube is dead. I'm done. Is YouTube dead? What I'm going to start this episode oh, with did... self-promo. Fuck you. Uh, oh, <laughs> my Patreon has a new $5 tier. Go on it. The end. No, the... Uh, I, <laughs> I lost my entire train of thought with inline. I'm so distracted by we, that. We, we were now. so organized three <laughs> minutes ago. I was late to this podcast because I was mentally organizing it in the, in the shower. And then I'm just like... I just lost my thread completely. But I... Uh, so... I tried to update my Patreon. I added a $5 tier because previously I had a $1 and a $15 tier. And that's that's like too big of a leap with nothing in between for people to go to. But I didn't want to add anything without being able to actually like give something. But, I didn't ha but it was hard to figure out how to give something for that tier without just massively increasing my workload. But I've kind of found a solution, which is that I'm giving people early access to videos. And I was worried about doing that for the SA channel because I didn't think I'd reliably have like a monthly thing to give early access to but if i work in the let's plays at the same time then i can have a situation where like whatever i record that week i can find some way to give it to uh patreon immediately ish and then it comes out eventually on according to how the schedule works with every series having like two to four videos a week and all that and that being a much longer process so what that means in practical terms is that firmament the new game from people that made abduction and and mist came out and at this moment that I'm speaking, there's one episode out so far on on YouTube, but all eight episodes, its full run, is all available on uh, Patreon immediately. So you can go watch all of it right now on Patreon, and or you can wait all month to watch it one by one. And I don't know, some some people could see this as like a cynical, like, you're withholding stuff to make money, but I'm like, it's literally this... It is literally the same release schedule that has always existed for YouTube. It's just I've created a second way of accessing videos in the separate way that supports the channel that mostly doesn't change my workflow, although it does it does lead to an awkward thing where I don't I'm not necessarily changing my recording schedule, but I am having to change like my I have to I have to logistically figure out this is like behind the scenes YouTube shit. I have to figure out how to actually provide these videos which is a thing I've had multiple solutions for so far. Because the first thing I did was me and Toaster did recorded all of Arches, but then Steffi and I finished TJ's Route of Echo, so we're like, oh crap, Arches is not going to air for like at least a month, basically. This should be a Patreon perk, which is like the inciting incident for this whole thing. And at, for that one, I just took the, the regular videos that will be up later and just put them in a playlist, unlisted, and was like, here you go, Patreon, here's access to these unlisted videos. But that creates a logistical problem later on where I'm like, okay, these videos do eventually need to go live. And the frustrating thing about YouTube is that you cannot have an unlisted scheduled video. The set the the options for a video on YouTube are public, private, unlisted, and scheduled. And those are there's no like like variation within that and scheduled is functionally private but it will become public at the specific time that you've specified and unlisted is the state that you need in order to be able to make a video not publicly findable on youtube but if they have a link they can watch it which is how like patreon perks work is you make a private 
like people who pay only post on Patreon and then link that video in that post because Patreon does not have its own video hosting. Uh, and then that link is how people access the video. Uh, <clears throat> so that creates a problem where if you're going to try to make it public later within the case of Arches, you then have to like make the series private again to then schedule it, which creates its own problem because then it's no longer like, available early to patrons at that point. One of my solutions is like my my intermediate solution was what I did with Zelda, which is that I I streamed like the first eleven hours of Breath of the uh, uh, Tears of the Kingdom, and then I'm like, okay, I'll I'll give Patreon the stream vod links, which is a separate video from the eventual videos that I'll be making out of this stuff. So that's like it has a little bit of bonus behind the scenes, like in between the episodes things, and also this will stay at, uh, public. Uh, even after I start, even after I'm scheduling the video, so it doesn't create like a logistical problem for me. But then that's the issue where like the stream vods are worse. So now I'm like now I'm on the, the a third iteration already in only like two weeks. Where with Firmament, I uh, I rendered the individual hour long episodes and scheduled those for the next month, but then also rendered the entire playthrough in two four hour chunks as I progressed through the, the two sessions of playing through the game. And then upload those separately for Patreon. <laughs> so this is the, <laughs> so this, so there's the marathon videos that are private forever that I can link on Patreon, and there's this, and then there's the hour-long normal videos that I can schedule normally for YouTube, which is not more recording work or and not that much more editing work, but it is like this weird logistical mess of rendering twice as much and uploading twice as much. So I'm not, I'm not in love with the solution either, but. That's been my workflow at the moment. But for Patreon, if you want to hop on Patreon, um, though, you can watch all of Arches. You can watch uh, all of well, all of Arches except for the, the epilogue because it's not the, the that part of the video game is not up, uh, open to the public yet. So I'm not going to leak it until it's out to everybody on their end. Uh, you can watch all of Firmament. You can watch the first 11 hours of, of Tears of the Kingdom right now. And soon, my next project is to give you guys... Uh, the entirety of fear and hunger as fast as possible which i also recorded all of with toaster and maybe we'll talk about later but that game exists and is wild <laughs> and that's anyway that's my this is the first and probably last time i'll talk about this tier on the podcast but as somebody who's been coming out as gay for the last 10 for the last year every week because of how it's so hard to actually spread information to your audience on YouTube. I got to cover all my bases and just put this shit everywhere. <laughs> so now it's on the podcast too. Anyway, how's everybody doing this week? I'm mostly, doing mostly well. Did, that's not how. That's not what we talk about in this podcast. About how <laughs> we don't talk about ourselves. <laughs> we don't check in on each other and how each other are feeling. Don't Fuck don't you. To that. How dare you? <laughs> Frankly, I'm calling the police. Let's talk about how Tears of the Kingdom is only one skill, and it's very big disappointment. <coughs> is it? Is it, a dis is it a big disappointment? Is that what it is? I, d I don't know. I didn't play it, uh. so it's you to talk about it. Toaster has preemptively vetoed all Tears of the Kingdom discourse. He's, it's traumatic oh. for him. He, did, he, he, not, he desperately does not want to be exposed to Tears of the just, Kingdom discussions. I need, I need oh, one place on the internet that isn't losing their minds over how the new Zelda game is the best game ever and the only game to ever do anything that it does and nothing that it does has ever been done before. Uh, <laughs> that happens every time. 
It does <laughs> every time, and it's, it's stre- it stresses me out every single time, too. Uh, this is not me shitting on Tears of the Kingdom. I am sure Tears of the Kingdom is fine. But, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I lived through the trenches, the war-torn trenches of Breath of the Wild, where I played it, and I was like, this game's pretty cool. It's my third favorite Zelda <laughs> game. I like I like that shrines take Zelda game design and and, and ex- extrude them into these tiny five-minute sections. It's kind of a barren open world, but it's neat that stuff like interacts. I wish there were more high-level rewards instead of going out of my way to explore something and getting a chest full of arrows. And then I look online and people are like, this is the greatest open world I've ever played. Nintendo finally solves open worlds. Uh, no other open world has ever been this dense. And I'm like, bruh, what are but, you oh, talking about? Is uh, that why they so, solved open worlds? Because it's that's dense. apparently <laughs> it's apparently just the best open world with the most stuff to do. Um, and anyway, long story short, uh, I love oh, Breath of the Wilds. I think it's a great game. I'm sure I'll like Tears of the Kingdom eventually when I play it, but like I can't, I just can't do it right now. I can't, I can't <laughs> look, peer into the bizarro land that is Nintendo fans and their extraordinarily small sample size of video games they compare to. Toaster's uh, been seething so... and molding every time that I call Breath of the Wild my favorite open world game. That's no, a, yeah, and I'm not even no, as a Nintendo I fan. Molding. I hadn't even played Zelda games at that point. <laughs> it was literally <laughs> no, just like, I th- hang on a minute. I'm I not think there's tired a very... and frustrated <laughs> and like but instantly it, exhausted is... when I look at this world. It's full of things I that found I think my curiosity. A very very big difference between saying Breath of the Wild is your favorite open world. And saying Breath of the Wild is the only good open world. And especially when your sample size uh, is I mean, like it's not, it can't be Breath the only of good the open Wild because pathologic exists. <laughs> exactly. Well, and Outer Wild, right? In Outer Wild, sure, exactly. Outer um, Wild is technically open world. Yeah, it is. It's, it's an open hub is the best way to describe I'm it. No, you dummy. <laughs> you leave the world. It can't be open world if you leave it. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> spoilers and that it's a space game where you hop between planets. <laughs> spoilers of like the first 10 minutes of the game. I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Not 10 minutes. You need to spend an hour and a half reading everybody's dialogue. How are you Come spending on. an hour? I'm out of there. I speedrun that. I just oh, ran out so of good. there. Get Everybody's away, you so weirdo nice. aliens. Get me in the car. I'm gone. So Bye. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but let me let me pick your brain though, Keith. You you, you say you know this is known. You're famous to be to to I'm famous. famous for that, for that yeah, for the fact that the Breath of the Wild is your favorite open world game. But is it because it's very dense? Is that the reason? What do you mean by dense? I mean it in the sense of um, how do you because the way the way Toaster said it uh, in, in his example of Nintendo fans. Uh, of uh, quotes, Nintendo finally solves open world. It's so dense. Mm-hmm. It makes it sound as if the trick to an open world game to make it good is to make it dense. Uh, and honestly, I think, and, and, and the reason why I kind of want to pivot on on this on this sort of topic, I think that's not really how people even perceive open worlds about how dense they yeah. are. Uh, it, like maybe that maybe you know maybe they will say it and oh I like this one because it's dense. But then when you actually look at it. It's not necessarily more dense than others. Yeah, uh, so like, exactly. Is that, I don't it, value like, open world games based on how much stuff there is to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's important. Uh, by which I mean, like, I don't think 
like the value of a game comes from its duration of its content like mm -hmm. how much it can consume your life or whatever like i like for me portal as a as a tight little 90 minute game that i've played eight times is fantastic like i don't really care about how long a game is for me what made it yeah. breath of the wild really interesting is that i played so I was there in, in the olden days. We would play GTA 3 when it was new and Vice City. Mm -hmm. And like, so I, I I experienced the like childhood little joy of of a sandbox where you're like, huh, what's the story? Anyway, shoot everything, run things over with your car, flip it over, explode, use the cheats to spawn a tank, five star wanted level, blah, blah, blah. And like, I experienced that in all of its permutations for a while. And then I was like, okay. The whole yeah. cause mayhem in a GTA world is amusing for a few minutes. And that is one of the appeals of playing GTA 5 online in, in a unstructured form is just to like you can just kind of screw around with your friends and just like get up to physics based shenanigans <sighs> for a bit. But mostly the whole, oh, you're beating up hookers. Oh, this is so scandalous kind of like war thin. And I kind of stopped caring about the sandbox element of open world games. And most of them mm -hmm. don't really foster that in any real way. And then the uh, the scourge happened to open world games, and yep. I was and I was and I got sucked into it at the, the time. The scourge known as Far Cry Three. I was gonna say Assassin's <laughs> oh, Creed One, Assassin's but Creed yeah, two. oh one even two. Oh, one so, didn't have markers on the map. The so, second one had you could you had, yeah you, you could have yeah. it back. Yeah. But back I mean, in the day, both are like, Ubisoft. Back in the day, I played Assassin's yep. Creed, and it was first. At first, it was like this kind of new, enthralling, like cool experience because you're playing as Altair, and you can freely climb all the buildings. You're like, this is a whole new way of interacting good. with these settings compared to like GTA, where you were so specific in yep. what you were able to do. So it felt like incredibly freeing. So I was so hooked to Assassin's Creed because of like how good traversal and stuff did feel that I kind of didn't really clock that hard how like insubstantial the actual content was in that game like the campaign is paper thin and not very interesting and it's in like if you look at yep. the assassinations they do not hold up to like no as much as they tried to claim there was freedom and variety they did they don't hold a candle to like hitman or anything like that that, that was already out yeah, yeah so they were kind of they were they weren't that good but I, but nonetheless i sat there and i got all 460 collectibles like a fucking madman mm -hmm. where there's 40 of them in the training facility for the uh, the home base of the assassins there was 100 in the open world 100 in each of the three cities and then there was 20 templars that were unique throughout the world and like i did yep. all of it ah including that one weird one in the ruins in the open world that requires special jump tech you never had to learn at any point until then oh and i you're remember like, that one yeah yeah that, you're like wait yeah, there's I, a way I, to I jump like well, right? kind of higher and i've never needed to know that why is this coming up now and yeah. I, I and I 100 I, I didn't even stop there. I 100 completed Assassin's Creed 2, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, Assassin's Creed Revelations single player component. Every single achievement That's up until much, then. <laughs> then, then, well, then Assassin's Creed 3 broke me. Where I'm just like, this is so fucking boring. I cannot handle. That's where I fell off too. Yeah, I cannot handle oh, the, more I, slowly I, following wow. a guy this close, but not too close, while using bushes and benches in the same way I've done hundreds of hours now. I'm like, they need like there's such a lack. There's such a lack of innovation. And a lack of any steps yeah, made forward true. beyond what they originally did with the first game, like they had, they got better cutscenes and and stuff like that, but they never got better game design, and that's incredibly disappointing. Yeah. To the point where yeah, when I played yeah. Revelations, I got the tutorial for the bombs, and then skipped it, 
and beat the game without <laughs> bombs and then 100% completed the game without bombs. I don't know how the bombs work in that game. It clearly it didn't matter because the game wasn't built around no. them because I didn't use them. Yeah, they're, and, it, and I never they're felt like I needed useless. them. Uh, yeah. So like it's just the franchise just it was just it's just like a it, this this what happens is is a <clears throat> Ubisoft saw a profit motive, and then the industry yes. as a whole saw a profit motive of of replicating Far Cry and Assassin's Creed, which are basically the same game except one of them's shooting, but there and has a uh, and one of them has like a this like edgy like villain centered uh, narrative structure, but uh, they both are the same gameplay loop like identically and frustratingly. And like, yeah, like I, years later, I popped into Assassin's Creed Unity, the infamously bad one, but like you pop into it and they just fill the map with 500 icons of all the things you should be doing. And it's like the exact opposite of like hunting for flags in the original game. Uh, it's just, here's your endless checklist. And then every time anyone, ever, there's ever buzz about a big, cool open world game like Ghost of Tsushima. It's just the same thing again. We're like, okay, here's a giant world that's utterly uninteractive. There's nothing to do in it, nothing to discover. And then just dipple doppled all over the whole damn map is five tasks 30 times each. And it's like, oh, wow, yes. I'm following this fox to his shrine. Look at him go. Do it 50 more times for completion. And it's like, no, that's depressing. <laughs> like... So like yeah. I did, I never felt anything new in an open world game until like debatably Pathologic Two, which is a bit of a questionable inclusion along because it's a it's like the Pathologic is alongside like Dead Rising as far as whether or not you call it open world. Yeah, it's, it is it's like an, it's a kind of sim structure, immersive yeah. sim kind of like you have a set amount of ways you can interact with the world, but like the the world goes on yeah. without you, but it's not really built around a sandbox really like for me the the gold standard for games that actually started doing something that felt different was uh death stranding and breath of the wild and death stranding is a little different in that it's it was less that they did away with the here's your series of tasks on the map thing and more that they fundamentally recontextualized via both gameplay and narrative and like the social aspects what <laughs> doing those tasks meant and they and then very much changed that gameplay loop and made it feel feel very interesting in a very different way. But what Breath of the Wild yeah. did was they gave you one waypoint. Look at that giant floating castle over there. That's where the Ganon is. You can go do it if you want, and you can. You can just go straight there, and you can just go beat Ganon if you want to, or you can go to all these different places and power up and you know play Zelda and do the dungeons and everything, and get all your and get your powers and then go fight them the normalish way. But all along that adventure is just infinite optional content and it's completely at least it was for me if you're if you have brain rot you look up a guide and you're like oh here's every single korok seed location on a map and i'm gonna sit here and hate myself for 200 yeah. hours doing that <laughs> which is a mistake but if you're if you're just me then you're like every time i sat down to play that game which i was doing in a structured let's play context which has this pressure in the back of my mind of like i have to do something interesting i can't just like waste time wandering around and stare at walls like the way that normal gamers might do i have to like do something but like what i would literally do is like i, I like i remember being in the desert and looking kind of like north-ish and seeing a weird series of tall ancient statues akin to like those the big statue from lord of the rings so that but that's on both sides of that one like bay or whatever or river and they're just kind of like the names of those statues and they're, and they're just kind of like 
there's like in the desert and they're leaning and they kind of look like they're pointing somewhere and you're just like i i'm just i just want to see what that what's up with that i'm just gonna go there and like over the and like you'll go adventuring like sincerely adventuring in a video game and you'll investigate the direction the stuff is going in and over the course of doing that you'll naturally deviate to like seven different things that you went to because you wanted to and like I would, uh, my arc of just checking out one thing would become like this big three hour multi-episode adventure of wanting to like check out all these different things that I just felt like seeing while also having kind of like a naturally paced series of like enemy encounters and day night cycles and blood moons while I was doing that. And throughout that is a collection of just like so many Korok locations that you're always curiously looking for them, but you're but like there there there's so many of them that it's like clearly like you're meant to incidentally kind of discover them and be like oh shit I recognize this, but obviously never find all of them because that would be insane, and so like there was just like it's almost like this like uh, open world ADHD thing where you just like there's like you go there yeah. for one thing <laughs> and you end up deviating to seven other things in the process of that while then re continually like reorienting back to your original task. And just kind of having a great time doing that the whole time. And, like, it's been, like, discourse to death. But, like, it is so cool to me to the point where I'm kind of worried about how the change might uh, dampen the new game. It was so cool to me that you would just, like, they recontextualize the towers. The, like, Altair makes a eagle noise and jumps into a bale of hay towers. That would It's just not Altair that makes the noise. It's an eagle. <laughs> yeah, but well, it's a. <laughs> we're gonna, well, we gotta get into whether or not it's a. Uh, what, what do you call it? Noise. Uh, yeah, the, the, diegetic. Like the diegetic. <laughs> is, the, is the bird diegetic or not? The uh, yeah. <laughs> or is that as a superpower? <laughs> like in Assassin's Creed, you would just climb a tower for a while, and it was a climbing quote unquote puzzle where you held up for a long time. But sometimes you had to hold diagonal yeah. a bit. And slightly it's find a better a path. Functional mechanic yeah. thing where it's like, oh, I I can't look at the map. This is inconvenient. I'm going to climb up this tower now <laughs> to fill out yeah. my map. And like in Assassin's Creed, you you had a completely blurred out nothing map, and then every time you got a tower, a local circle of it got filled in, and then maybe yep. they would, and then later games they'd populate it with too many icons and so on. And then immediately you just jump down because all the the only the only useful information as Altair the as the player was to look around and be like ah that sure is a historically accurate TM landscape anyway yes. eagle dive into the hay <laughs> but when you get to the yep. top of a tower in Zelda the part where the cutscene plays and then the the t local topography is added to the map that you already had access to anyway like your map already was complete it just adds topographic data but you already could navigate yep. via map the whole game. The real goal is to look around with your actual human eyes, spot things of interest that you actually have an interest at, tele telescope at them, and then put a beacon at them to be able to navigate them on ground. And then that beacon is in the world, so it's not a compass, it's not, it's not a fallout compass line, mm -hmm. and it's not a yeah. waypoint on your map. It is a physical beam of light that you're pursuing in a way that encourages you to continue looking at the world and every time you're journeying towards one of those destinations you saw miles away from a, a tower, you will inevitably discover like seven other things just because it's essentially like throwing you like they put so many spokes on that wheel that you're always going to be tearing your way through like 
an unscripted path through the jungle or whatever and be like, oh shit, there's a whole NP there's a whole town over here. There's an NPC with this quest over here or a shrine or a Korok and so on. And like the way that all those things interacted was just very, very engaging. And it, uh, the fact that I was doing yeah. things because I wanted to even even like in both cases, it is just like there are there are gameplay elements on a map. There are just tasks but like being the shifting into being self-driven instead of being like here's the endless checklist of things and the completionist percentage you're not you're now at 72.02 percent completionism only only 30 more hours until you get the platinum trophy like the fact that yeah. people zero the fact that they zeroed in on achievements at the beginning of the xbox 360 era and then put those achievements incentive structures in the game itself as your implied yeah. goal <laughs> every second of gameplay ruined open world games so hard and so yeah. Breath of, and like Tears of the Kingdom is interesting so far because it takes the same world as Breath of the Wild and it has all these perks that I just talked about and then it layers new intriguing elements into that that are unexpected mm -hmm. because you're in this false sense of like this is a local familiar location from six years ago and then wild deviations exist uh, because of what they've done with that game that I don't want to get into in detail at all but there are very yeah. cool discoveries about what they've actually done with the setting. And then, of course, they've also now added the crazy building mechanics, which means they've essentially done the le what was kind of the least expected thing, which was to go back to GTA 3 and add the sandbox to the modern open world <laughs> games. So now you have the sandbox that people liked in the first place and you have what made Breath of the Wild good. And this is all without the, going making the fall fallout i mean the far cry and the far cry and and uh assassin's creed pitfalls that made me so sad every time people were like oh yeah the best open world game horizon zero dawn ghost of tsushima <laughs> it's colorful and it has robot dragons and yeah the same and it's the same open world game you've been playing since assassin's creed 2 remember da vinci is he gay <laughs> <laughs> yeah so one of the things, I mean, it's interesting that you, you bring up a lot of this stuff in the context of Breath of the Wild, because what you described does mirror my experience with Breath of the Wild in a lot of ways, but deviates in how you ended up feeling about it. And this is this is where I will describe my thing with Breath of the Wild and the thing that kind of holds it back for me and the reason why I'm not slobbering to uh to dive onto tears of the kingdom uh so breath of the wild was really interesting for me because i have played many open world games and i've played every zelda game and everything that you said rings true it does a very good job of making you look at your actual map and understand your surroundings um and i was doing that as i played the game i didn't 100 percent it or anything like that but i did all the shrines and i did all the divine beasts and i did as many side quests as i could run into basically if content fell in front of me in in breath of the wild i did it what started to wear on me and what made the veneer of that game wear thin was I would so I'd have like a waypoint on my map, right? And I would be like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to check out this cool statue that was like pointing at this thing. And I'm going to see if there's something cool there. And I would go and I would go to do that. And then I would inevitably find a like, let's say like uh, I'm, I'm making an example up because I played Breath of the Wild six years ago, right? Exactly. Like when it first came out. So my, I, my I don't have anything so perfect. 
but uh, I would I would go to a a little like dilapidated village, and I would go in, and I would see oh, there's like a bunch of bokoblins there, and they're like they're they're they have a little base that they've set up, and it's it's uh, it looks like there's a big chest on top. Like holy crap, this is like its own set piece. And I would methodically go through and destroy the whole base and get to the top and open the chest. And inside there would be 20 arrows when I already have in, an infinite amount of arrows available to me. So I'm like, OK, whatever. That's weird. It's just like, oh, it's like a nice little vignette, whatever. Cool little level design, I guess. And I would go back to going to what I was looking for and I would find another interesting looking amazing individually crafted set piece that looks like it's full of a mystery and it would have a bunch of bokoblins in it that i would kill and at the end there would be a chest and there would maybe if i'm really lucky be a piece of equipment that i'm not going to use because it's useless and has worse stats than everything else and isn't really meaningful and doesn't look good and unlike something like a I'm going to I'm going to make the big comparison here because every video game comes down to it. It doesn't it didn't work for me in the same way that something like a Dark Souls works for me because I was going to say, like, are you about to bring up Elden Ring? (laughs) No. Well, Elden Ring, I could bring up because Elden Ring does this as well. But uh, I let's say in Elden Ring, I I go down a path and I end up in this weird town. And, yeah, it's just a place that's filled with enemies. And at the end, there's a piece of armor I pick up that I'm never going to wear. I read the item description on that armor, and that item description gives me a better understanding of the world and gives me an idea of how these things fit in. And the the fact that that thing is there tells its own story that enriches my world experience and serves as a reward on its own. In Breath of the Wild, the armor will be like, fur warrior's armor. This is some warrior armor that is not lined with fur. And that's it. That's all you get. Yeah. And so my experience with Breath of the Wild was consistently going out of my way to explore and engage with these systems only to feel like the game doesn't actually really reward you and is hinging on this feeling of unending majesty that is actually extraordinarily shallow and extraordinarily cut and pasted just in a way that is possibly fresh in terms of like how it gets you to go and explore those places, but never really ever felt rewarding to me with few exceptions. Now, one of the exceptions, of course, are things like that big labyrinth that was really cool or uh, trying to puzzle solve how you you deal with the the legendary dragons that are flying around. I can't remember their names. Uh, or, of course, my favorite part of Breath of the Wild, the part that I wish the whole game was Eventide Isle. Like I want, I want a open world Zelda game that is as densely packed with that level of cool, unique, interactive engagements that constantly ask you to figure out new ways to actually engage with the environment. But for the most part, my Breath of the Wild playthrough was a generally completionist playthrough where I never changed my approach to anything, never felt rewarded by doing anything, saw almost all of the content. And realized most of the content kind of was the same content, just like fractaled into a million different vaguely variated circumstances that weren't actually 
they didn't actually stress my understanding of the world or my understanding of how I could approach the world. Um, and that sort of gets to the bigger thing, which is like, you know, you'll go on Twitter and you'll see people be like, did you know you can set grass on fire in Breath of the Wild and and squirrels will run up to it and try to get acorns out of the grass because they're hungry. This is a crazy life sim. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's like a cool I'm like, that's a cool animated thing that they programmed in. But like, what, what can you ever actually video? <laughs> Yeah, like like what can you ever actually use this for in any meaningful way? This does not change your approach to the game. It's just a wacky thing you can do that like yeah, is like fun for the sake of fun, but like it's not like a meaningful like profound ludo narrative moment. It's just like yeah, the grass sets on fire. It's not actually going to help you very much. The squirrels running for their acorns aren't going to like distract a, a Lionel for you and let you get a critical hit. Like you aren't rewarded yeah. for doing that. It's just a thing. So, uh, so that's that's my disconnect with Breath of the Wild. And again, people in the comments are going to come after me. You can you can post your angry engagement comments at Patreon.com/slash/ToastedRingtail. But uh, <laughs> I just I. I I just have never connected with the profound degree of praise that Breath of the Wild has gotten and now Tears of the Kingdom is getting because yes it is a game full of possibility but I feel like it just doesn't do a very good job of like rewarding those possibilities in a meaningful yeah uh way outside of simply the majesty of having a video game that you can play and as someone who plays a lot of video games that doesn't really do much for me and again i'm not saying breath of the wild is bad it is my third favorite zelda game i have played every zelda game i really like breath of the wild it, it i score it like two points above my average for most video games i'm a very harsh critic and i i you're a seven really... out of ten breath of the wild reviewer Damn. yes Damn. that is that is my that is my review score when i played breath Six of the wild and i was reviewing video water. games i gave it i gave it a seven out of ten which is two points higher than my average five is a good game i recommend to people i use the edge magazine scale breath wow. of the wild was a seven <laughs> i love that game i think it is great a seven out of ten is a great game worth playing uh but yeah i give it a seven out of ten and like does it reach the heights of majora's mask to me not even remotely no nintendo game ever has but i really love it so wait, it's just it's one of those wait, is things it actually, that is it that also struggles. my third favorite Zelda game? Oh wow! Uh, so yeah, it's just <laughs> it's it's just one of those things, you know. It's just one of those things where I I I struggle to relate to the very I don't want to even call it hyperbolic praise because I feel like people are very sincere when they love Breath of the Wild and they love Tears of the Kingdom. It's just it doesn't match with my reality of those games, and I no matter how hard I try. To understand that perspective, I can't see the world that the people who love that game see. Even from a like design standpoint, it's very hard for me to understand putting my like emotional, personal things I like in a video game stuff aside. Breath of the Wild just doesn't, I there's something about it that I just don't see how people don't see those things in other games, I guess is like uh, I the mean, best way to describe it. Part of the plot twist is that Zelda as a franchise, has, especially the 3D ones, 
uh, have like yep. gaping flaws and are like really oh, interesting completely. flawed in a lot of cases. Like it's actually yes, it's the the two D games which I like less are more consistently uh like harder to criticize on some levels but the uh oh completely yeah but I, they but are I, like they are very refined design spaces yeah. <laughs> in the, three, the 2d like, space like, yeah like, like my favorite zelda games i think in order probably are like majora's mask twilight princess then breath of the wild and twilight princess has the yep. fucking garbage ass wolf mechanics which like i love yeah. wolf link as a character design and I especially love his stupid Awu music instrument where he makes stupid, stupid noises. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> it's frustrating how, like, uh, subjective it can feel to try to nail down how to play it. But it's hilarious to when it's happening. Uh, but, like, that fucking, like, every second of Wolf Link gameplay is basically awful. And one of the worst things they do yep. is make it so that you turn into Wolf Link and then you have to find like a Banjo-Kazooie jump pad like, oh, hi, uh, yeah. but it's invisible <laughs> and unlabeled. It's like, oh, this random chunk of rock over here is a spot where Minda will get a jump prompt and you have to know that somehow in order to continue the game is like incredibly garbage. What? Why would you do this to me? Moments. Uh, and like, yeah, Breath of the Wild is a game that nailed down intrinsic motivation without actually being able to capitalize on those with extrinsic rewards like it, especially since there isn't necessarily a, a, an interest in having extreme world building and lore you're not going to generally yep. be rewarded with answers or context when you get to these really specific places and 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 the game has this very flat basically randomized loot system that never can build anywhere and also everything breaks for all the, all the time except for armor so it has it struggles to go anywhere with that stuff and on some level this is a problem shared across the board in that uh like elden ring was a game that yes you can read descriptions on the items but like a very common complaint was the fact that like you get all these uh whenever you do find a cool cave or a dungeon they start to relatively quickly become repetitive and the rewards are like, oh, wow. It's a spell for one of the seven schools of sorcery that you don't use. <laughs> so it's yeah. literally unusable in this playthrough. And that was the reward for beating this this boss. And so like in Elden Ring, the reward and the, and the real reason that would determine whether or not you want to do these dungeons is the actual desire to do this random cave and fight the random boss at the end and and find out what kind of thing was there and yeah the sort of like self-contradictory loop in your brain would be the fact that like you would start realizing that you kind of ran out of variability and you're gonna fight another tree nut like testicle <laughs> root thing or you're gonna fight another uh yeah or you're gonna fight another cat robot and it's going to just be the same things again and yet you keep doing it and there's the question of how hard you keep committing to that and to some extent that it kind of happened in breath of the wild because at some point the game can't reward you and that's a thing that is an interesting problem to have because the specific thing i compliment both of those franchises for arguably franchises uh for for before they were open world games was how good they were at structured rewards like you pointed yeah. out the uh the item descriptions and being an addition to the lore on like unique weapons and stuff like that and that's being and that being that that yeah like giving you some sort sting. of incentive yeah like it, it potentially curbs the sting of the fact that you got a, a great site that's useless to you and also arguably in most dark souls build in dark souls runs you usually use like one or two weapons in the entire run arguably because you find yeah the thing that works for your spec and then 
a thing that I, I see as a flaw in Dark Souls is that they they gate progress via an upgrade currency that is tiered based on locations in the game to give it a power curve. Yeah. But there's a scarcity to those items that makes it very difficult to upgrade any alternate weapons. So the gameplay variability is so narrow from in each playthrough because you literally cannot afford to make alternate weapons for your build anyway. Yeah, uh, exactly. You, but, it makes you specialize very early, very quickly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the 75 reasons why Dark Souls 2 is my favorite is that it has it, it, they they took what was also also good about Zelda, which was having unique rewards throughout the game that incentivized exploration and completionism and your natural curiosity. That was already a thing that the game was doing well. And it's also why yep. Twilight Princess HD is a is a bad update on this level and frustrating <laughs> is that uh zelda has heart pieces and they have a few other things too they have uh, there's there's a few bottles each playthrough and a few other upgrades but they have permanent structured upgrades that are scattered throughout the game that incentivize you to carefully explore the world and that is an incredibly fantastic concrete reason to be curious and it's why it was it stung so hard that Zelda, that Twilight Princess HD had a bunch of very specific explorable chests. Like there's a part where you're, there's like a funnel of water coming downward at you, and it's like a big kind of struggle to like go up this like what's essentially a spiral staircase of 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 river that's going downhill. And your reward for getting to the top is a Miiverse stamp that you can't use anymore because the Miiverse is down, but also it wasn't yeah. a good reward even when the Miiverse existed. And there's 50 of those in that game. There's 50 Miiverse stamps where there should be like heart pieces or a bomb bag or some kind of permanent upgrade that felt good. And on a regular basis, like the heart pieces actually get like segmented off to shitty little side areas that are like not that interesting of a secret and the bigger secrets are given to the Miiverse stamps and that's such a horrible choice but the rest of the franchise is really good about that kind of reward and Dark Souls 2 what they did is they took the Estus flask and they iterated on it where instead of having the Dark Souls 1 system where you have five flasks and then when you kindle bonfires you get 10 15 etc uh they made it so there are two separate kinds of heart pieces one that makes your Estus flask increase in number and one that makes yep. it increase in healing. And so over the course of the playthrough, you can collect a really large number of major upgrades. And, the, and those are hidden in the environment to to encourage Zelda style exploration. And that's why Dark Souls 2 is the best Dark Souls fucking you can't you can't you ever trick me. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. It's such a good system. Uh, it is. How dare it people is. not pay attention to how good this is i think elden ring brought it back because it was perfect uh but <laughs> yeah i think i think the fact that elden ring is very much uh, dark souls 2 2 is yes. like a pretty strong testament to how so good dark souls 2 is but uh but yeah i mean like i i definitely hear what you're what you're saying with that and i i agree with a lot of it and like especially when it comes to like upgrades like i don't think yeah. that i think everyone will agree like especially the whole soul series like the way that it does upgrade progression in general is pretty pretty much like the worst part about those games so it's it's kind of interesting to to you know fixate on that and, and see that in context to like what zelda does well and and how it does it and again 
I, I want to be very clear. Me bringing up something like Elden Ring or Dark Souls is not actually to compare them. It was more just to to make a explanation of like why I think layered because that, that's what this conversation is actually about. This is, is we're like, talking about the specific structures and incentives and mechanics. Yeah, like uh, la- in, layered like reward systems. Yeah, exactly. It's like this idea of like what what did what would I need for Breath of the Wild to like hit me the same way the open worlds I like did. And it's like, I need a layered, like multi-layered complex system that isn't just a system to be a system. It's a system that interacts with other systems ludonarratively. And I just, I didn't feel like those games had that. Whereas like, even again, just pulling another example in like, Red Dead Redemption 2 is an open world that feels very fulfilling to engage with because every single system is tied into another system that has ludonarrative meaning and value. So like when you go out to hunt and find a cool gun or like encounter an interesting random event in the world, like that changes your narrative experience with that game in a way that is concretely meaningful and rewardingly tangible you do a legendary hunt you unlock different things from that and it it incentivizes you to want to go out and do more of them uh you know stuff like that that i think you know sets that game apart compared to like a gta game where it's like you know i found i found a ufo in the mountains Woo! like you know like there's just like nothing there i don't think breath of the wild is that bad or anything like that uh you know like like your standard gta 3 which to add even more credibility to this, this past year, I replayed all of the GTA games up through GTA 5. I did not play GTA 5. I played GTA 1 all the way up through 4. So I have a very strong understanding of how GTA's open world works, and I do not like them at all. <laughs> um, you but, didn't like GTA 2? Uh, GTA 2 is fine. I don't Aww. think it's like incredible. Uh, I it's fine. I, li- it's I like the incredible. stories You're of those right. games. <laughs> I like the stories of those games. They're interesting. It's just Girl like, just want credit for playing GTA Two. Yeah, we all. Colonel and I are, are some of the few people probably who have in modern times. <laughs> I have never yeah, played GTA I, One or Two. I played GTA Chinatown Wars really? on the DS. I, I never which played was the like DS the return game. to that format. I arguably, maybe, but I don't. I didn't play very much of it. No, it was no, very fun. I don't think they're the same. I, I have the PlayStation disc for GTA 1 and 2, and then I bought three secondhand from a guy who, like, didn't like GTA. He, like, got it <laughs> Christmas or something, and he was like, this game sucks, it's too big. And I was like, uh, uh okay, I'll take that off your hands, bud, that sucks. Like, <laughs> I just always think about yeah. the fact that I have a copy, I don't remember if it was GTA 1 or 2, but I have a copy of one of the original GTAs, and the whole novelty was the fact that I bought it at a thrift store called the U-Turn for Jesus. Because it was yeah, a thrift store you could only access via a U-turn, and it was a goofy ass, but it's just such a heavily Christian themed uh, thrift store that sold GTA to me. And I'm like, I have to buy this just on principle because it's very funny that, that I can buy a GTA here. And so I have yep. one of the early GTAs that I've never played still. But, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just I think GTA one and two like, were, was, were different games. But it felt yes. very different. I think it is very interesting that on Whoa. top of like the game that people often criticize, uh, that often is praised, including me, uh, for being like a revitalization of the modern open world like genre, 
and I was like keeping an eye. I was like specifically watching, like waiting for other companies to like learn lessons from and iterate on and improve on Breath of the Wild's formula instead of still making Horizon Zero Dawn, which is what actually happened. Uh, they just they completely ignored Breath of the Wild, basically. Uh, yeah. But that game itself has a, 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 a an indictment of itself in itself. Yes, because as you said, like. So many people's favorite part of that entire game is Eventide Isle, which specifically feels like a mod that a user made to fix yes. Breath of the Wild in Breath of the Wild. Because yes. <laughs> it, it, it zeroed in on Breath of the Wild's most interesting mechanics and how they're ruined by the open world. So it's a criticism of open world games as a concept, essentially. Because, yeah, you get to that island, and for those who don't know, you get to know an island in Breath of the Wild and you lose everything. The moment you get there, you have no inventory. So you have to, in, on this structured island that has a particular goal, you have to successfully get equipment and crafting resources and healing items from the land and loot and enemies from scratch, essentially, in order to, like, sort of have a little power curve and climb up and defeat this little structured encounter. And this was yep. so specifically obviously good that... The first DLC for this game was a gauntlet that was entirely this idea, where you start the entire yep. DLC. It's like a series of survival-style floors to solve that you have to start with zero equipment and solve all, the, all your way up. And Tears of the Kingdom itself, some of its shrines throw you in and take all your stuff away and say, solve this shrine, because they are tiny little eventides. Like, that's so clearly a great idea. And all of Breath of the Wild constantly struggles with the fact that, like, they did one thing, which is they gave you an inventory of weapons and stuff that breaks and constantly refreshes and you can only hold so much. But then they let you upgrade how many you could hold so you could increase your inventory in those yep. slots. And then they also uh, you have an infinite inventory for like apples and shit like that. So yeah. there is no difficulty curve essentially in, in Zelda. At the beginning of the game, you get one shot by a blue bow cop and you're like, damn, this game's edgy. Uh, but, yeah. at, but the moment you get six hearts or something, you're like, oh, I have infinite healing items for the rest of this game, and this will never actually be hard, basically. I just will get blindsided by giant spikes of damage, but I'll also be able to fix it instantly. Uh, yeah. Culminating in me running up Death Mountain while literally on fire and just buying and, and then finding uh, fire-resistant stuff inside of the mountain instead of actually doing the smart thing of finding out how to be resistant to fire before i went up there i just ran yep. up the entire mountain burning and screaming <laughs> and healing myself infinitely. <laughs> uh and like that's 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 very much is a thing like the game the game not all the mechanics of the game agree with its own open world philosophy and several of them benefit specifically from being in a more structured zelda style playthrough <laughs> to the point where you could take a lot of what breath of the wild does Turn it into a linear single player. I don't know why I said that that way specifically, but turn it turn it into an old school uh, Zelda campaign, and it would work better <laughs> in that structure yeah. than it does yeah. as a as a big blobby open world that has so little structure that you can just go anywhere with with five hundred meat pies. Yeah, ah, but that's, well, that's what I that happens about. to every open world. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah it does. It's, it's a problem. Sure. Like that. It is. It is. Arguably. Well, not I. I I'm being unfair. Not every open world. There's some open, like for example, Pathologic. It doesn't. That doesn't apply. There are but, some open worlds that. But it's that interesting because the moment you add incentive structures like Pathologic does to that world design, it's immediately debatable whether that counts as open world anymore, because the freedom is intrinsic to the genre. Because it puts a limit on you. Yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah. 
the it's moment interesting open world there game too. plays like pathologic it's extremely questionable whether we can still call it that is the issue yeah yeah I think about it with Breath of the Wild too. Like honestly, and this is me just spitballing. Like I'm sure mods like this exist, but like again, I when I played Breath of the Wild, I played it on, on the Wii U because it's a Wii U game, and I played it on Hero Mode with all of the HUD elements turned as far off as I could make them, uh, and that was great. That was a great way to play that game. I think it actively made it better. The only way. I want like a mod that gives me an inventory limit and like a weight limit. Like I want to have to deal with that in that game because I think about how interesting it would be if I could only carry three weapons at a time and I have to deal with degradation. Oh yeah. Because imagine if I'm fighting a Lionel and my sword breaks and I use a spear and I do something crafty and I like climb onto a ledge and then throw the spear at him and get damage. And then, you know, I have all I have left is like a stick and my bow and arrow. So I actually have to engage in combat in an interesting way. And like, so, so then I have to lure him over to some bokoblin so that I can kill a bokoblin in time to grab its spear to then parry the Lionel and like actually d- deal with that. Like, that would be cool. I just I it's just weird to me because then I turn like that idea sounds so engaging and so exciting because it does stress what a lot of people claim to love about Breath of the Wild, which is that it has this really emergent gameplay stuff and like all these cool systems that interact. But then I go on Twitter and I see these same people being like Breath of the Wild combat so cool. You can do so many freeform things. And then like I look at their Twitters and they're like. Weapon degradation is bad. I want infinite <laughs> item use. And I'm like, how is this? Like, you you are not making a cohesive argument here. Like, no. what are you talking about? The very thing that you are praising would be better if you just, if you if you were limited by it. Like, it's, it's just weird. It's just a weird dissonance to me that I don't fully understand. A lot of it is uncritical brand loyalty. Like it is people of course. just I mean, like that's just Zelda this game is good Nintendo and I'm hyped about it and I will retroactively try to fit <laughs> arguments to my emotions instead of actually structuring this and then you read what they're saying you're like this doesn't this is incoherent this doesn't make sense uh, at all but no, I, had, I had the exact same <laughs> thought while I was monologuing for way too long where I was like what if Breath of the Wild had like fucking Resident Evil one's inventory don't even i don't even fucking talk to me i am like i am physically quivering at the thought of a six item inventory breath of the wild or just just the idea of breath of the wild having resident evils like resource management and inventory management and like that limitation would be so engaging that it's like ah but what i what i do what i will get into a little bit is that tears of the kingdom pulls kind of a baller fucking move uh, which is that mm-hmm. they took all this criticism about the weapon degradation system and they're like, no, you're wrong. But they also didn't just That's keep good. the same system. So minor spoilers for Tears of the Kingdom, but what they did is that the corruption that happened to the kingdom, that explains every change that happened in, in its entirety, basically. Uh, it corrupted every weapon ever. So every weapon okay. is now a rusty piece of shit garbage boy everything's more degraded and shittier than ever before (laughs) every single weapon is trash and fuck you and what they did now is uh there are uh you can use stuff like a lizalfos horn and stuff like that to like imbue weapons so you you fight monsters carve chunks off of them and then you like you like craft 
these little nightmare amalgam weapons like I found a cool rock and I put it on the end of my sword and I'm using this shitty rusty sword to beat people with this cool rock and that's the new weapon system <laughs> and so at their core they're all still instantly degradable nightmare uh, disposable weapons but also they're even more disposable than ever before and that you're like tying garbage to them to make them cooler for five minutes to then beat people with and then they break yeah. it's fucking hilarious <laughs> you look like a you just look like link the like Link is homeless now. Yeah, the <laughs> murder, murder vagrant Link. <laughs> like the first thing you, the first incredibly stupid thing the game teaches you to do is to is to attach a rock to your shield. So your shield is a little buckler with a boulder sticking out of it, and that's your shield at the near the beginning of the game. And you're like, oh my yeah. god. Yeah. And it, like I'm sure I'm sure that every like all of the things that are you're saying about this sound sound great to me, and I'm sure that I will like Tears of the Kingdom when I eventually play it it's just i i just am not i don't know if i'm ready yet like personally spiritually speaking i i have i have some healing i need to do before i jump into tears of the kingdom because because breath of the wild twitter causes toaster emotional damage yeah there's there's two things in life that physically pain me um that that uh, that attack my brain cells and drill holes into my brain matter and the first one is uh twitter discourse and the second is overwatch 2 <laughs> which was our next topic <laughs> we but the uh yeah i'm just like poor toaster you're opting into having a twitch and a youtube where as you grow every opinion you have will have the dumbest counter arguments all the time like i deal with this every day like when you were like no one would disagree that that's a cool system or that's a bad system earlier i forget what it was i'm like you would be fucking shocked <laughs> Oh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I like to be optimistic, right? I just want to, I hope that people are smarter than they are and they're not, and I'm forever disappointed by it. But I mean, it's fine. If you, if you disagree with me, comment on the video and press that dislike button and super yeah. chat $10 and we'll read it and then not respond to it. Interact as much as possible with this opinion you don't like. Please. Oh. You can complain directly to me at patreon.com slash <laughs> engagement. Not but yeah. Opinion, please. O- over Overwatch 2 sure is is being a game that we play that we I rage canceled. uninstalled last night after having a very <laughs> bad time. Uh, We've had two people uninstall Overwatch this week. <laughs> I, For I mean, there's mildly a related I reinstall reasons. it, but I think Toaster. I don't, I don't think Toaster uninstalled because of the PVE. I think he uninstalled because the experience of playing Overwatch and trying to learn it is rough. It it's is, just very they, yeah. frustrating right now, specifically. And like, maybe I'll maybe I'll come back to it. I mean, I like playing games with you all, so I, I'll probably end up reinstalling it in like a week and a half. But. Uh, <laughs> Before before we even get into the PVE discussion, and I'm sure Andrew and maybe Colonel will have things to say about this, but this last balance patch for Overwatch 2 is maybe the worst patch release they have done since I started playing at the start of Overwatch 2. Like it yeah, feels I mean it is I would say it's the worst bad. What it is the worst balance patch? I don't even know what changed for Overwatch Two itself. It's, I know what changed, um, but why? Why? But, what? What exactly do you not like? So it's not Everything. specifically the character level changes Everything. that are bothering me. It's the <laughs> fact that 
the game is so bugged right now like oh really yeah well people are reporting that like basic movement functions aren't working last night we had multiple issues where bird was complaining about a known bug with kiriko's teleport now oh the teleport is bugged yeah Yeah, like teleport is bugged lucio's movement is really weird and bugged now uh we we've yeah yeah apparently the way he clings to walls uh it has slightly changed now and the behavior isn't consistent um so he can he can like he can like jump into a wall and just won't cling to it and will fall down it uh i I can't remember what the exact change was but i know people are really upset about some sort of weird interaction with mercy's fly now uh and uh just last night i was playing tracer uh on um and i I watched the replay to see it and this is why i ended up being really mad and just uninstalling uh for whatever reason uh using tracer's dash sometimes sends her completely vertical (laughs) wow yeah yeah, like as if i jumped so yesterday if you remember we were playing we were playing that push map and i i was like we we were on the curve with the uh with the bot and we were fighting the the reaper that was killing us and i was focusing on the reaper and he started to uh he started to focus me so i dashed to the left up the slope but what happened was my tracer popped up into the air just completely vertical and i didn't notice because i thought i was going up the slope so i dashed again to go behind the reaper and threw myself off the edge and died damn and that should not have happened because tracer's warp should get uh, like blocked by objects so i should not have gone over the edge (laughs) there when i did so like the the actual comfort level of playing this current patch it feels like they released something that was in a beta branch that had not been bug tested and now like there are just a thousand friction points like that in the game that just feel broken on top of balance changes that very fundamentally change how characters interact with each other so that's why i was why i was complaining yesterday while we were playing and i felt bad because normally i do not get salty like this about video games but i was very salty last night uh because i just felt like the goalposts for overwatch 2 for character picking for skill level for counterplay just shift wildly every single week I fucking I play fighting games. All right. Like I am used to character patches fundamentally changing a character's kit. I will use Guilty Gear Strive as an example. My main character in that game was broken at launch. He was a completely different character over the course of the game. They have changed how he plays. My entire strategy is different. Every single move he has functions in a different way than it started. I am not complaining about that level of balance. What I'm complaining about is that we'll play a game for two weeks and that patch will will solidify a meta and a a counterpicking strategy and the the uh ways with which you can use a character in standard play and then the next week the game will be completely fucking different because they'll turn a knob a little bit too far and then suddenly the entire meta changes and it is so exhausting to keep up with on top of 
these patches constantly introducing new bugs and breaking characters and just making the game feel worse to play. I do not understand why this game is like this. I really wish it was just 5% more stable in terms of what they actually release to the goddamn public. It is so frustrating to me. Yeah, the bugs are really a lot. The bugs are really bad. Um, oh well, not really bad. We're we're not talking Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven level here, but yeah, but it is bad. Like especially on a competitive game, like they 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 should have a system where they detect a bug, they that they they basically undo the ch- specific changes, like to do, that skill or whatever. I do think whatever. there's something interesting going on there too. Where like I well, first first of all, I. I, th- I thought I hadn't encountered a single bug, but I do remember like there was the time where like I was playing Ash and and Andrew was playing Ash is bugged as well, yeah. And we threw I think we threw dynamite and immortality field, and they both just flew straight into the air. And we're like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, immortality. Yeah. Aside, yeah. aside from that, I haven't encountered bugs really this entire patch. But what I find fascinating about this whole mess is the fact that they like Blizzard is a, seems to be a very poorly managed company lately. It seems to be in turmoil and has massive like like turnover, and it's like actual employees and been, things are just being structurally changed constantly and their goals are being sh- shifted and it's just a nightmare but like in this specific case they had to release this update with all these cosmetics they had and then they also this new pve mode that itself is really really bad like this really bad star watch horrible horrible ex- gaming experience mode that nobody as far as i can tell has ever liked uh while also releasing an update patch where they changed the Junker Queen balance and a few other characters, but yep. while also perhaps too ambitiously on top of that, they released a massive quality of life update that where they're like, we're going to tweak these helpful things about 20 different characters. And they did that all in one patch. Stuff. And I'm like, yeah. oh God, oh God, oh God. Because that last one was the worst choice they made because... I think that, yeah. And I was, I was, because I, I was, while Toaster first started talking, I was like, we, I, I was gonna, I was thinking, my point was gonna be like, oh, that what they, what they, desperately, what they, like, I'm, I'm shocked they didn't just immediately roll back the patch when it broke everything, and she's like, okay, yeah, BRB, we'll, we'll we got, we got to look at this patch again, but because the patch is simultaneously the quality of life update and the new cosmetics that are that people can pay for and the pve mode that's the big advertised thing that even if it's a disaster if they get rid of it then it's like they they're losing removing the big advertised thing that they just put out <laughs> and the balance PVE update all in canceled one. this patch <laughs> it just Imagine feels like it was such discourse. a yeah it's just it's such a mistake to put all of those into one into one bundled uh update all at once and it was such a mistake to like like it feels like it feels like the team has so many split incentives and projects to work on simultaneously that like I'm yeah. not I'm I, I, I guess I'm, I'm not that ultimately shocked that that this wasn't an, a a bug tested well enough update and that it, almost every quality of life change broke something somehow because this yeah. game like, it, that's that's an insane amount of stuff to do all at once like but and it's like that's what happens when you on top of having to balance the game and so on that they've been doing for years you also now have this this endless exhausting fortnite style content roadmap like this that that's going to just make the product worse like because that there's that's just yeah. a nightmare to have to work on 
and, you, and it makes it so you can't just roll back mistakes immediately and so on. That's just kind of a nightmare. But yeah, we we played, we did yeah. over we did two or we did two hours of a goofy, garbage furry shooter game last night, where we all had fun with the dumb game, and then we played four hours of Overwatch, and then that stream just ended with a DM from Toaster saying Overwatch is bad for my mental health, so I uninstalled. It's just Alex. Yeah. There, that nope. Power quit. <laughs> I was I was really truly like. I don't know. I don't I'm not sitting here to be like, look at me. I like I don't get salty at video games. But like I like to think that for the past six months or so that I've been playing Overwatch or however long we've been playing it together. I like to think that my perspective as a newcomer, it has been relatively even handed and that I have been learning and being very patient with this game that notoriously people get very salty about when they play. I'm not yeah. throwing shade shade at you, Andrew, but like you get pissed <laughs> when you play Overwatch. I do it, not. I like to think that I'm look, very relatively pleasant to play with. Last night made me truly angry. Like, I was very upset. I have never felt so useless and so unable to contribute yeah. playing a video game as I did last night. It's the, the thing that makes me so mad about Overwatch is because I, I genuinely know what i'm doing i genuinely know where to go the problem is i can't play every fucking role i cannot yeah. be every character and because i know what a character what because i know how to play every role because i know what i should be i end up trying to play every role i want to be a tank that can also dps that can also peel um uh, or that can also uh heal. that's why you should play so i'm trying to like <laughs> but diva doesn't can do everything but, but again she can't though because the problem with diva no, is that true. you you're yeah it's like it's, it's, your role is supposed to be important. and you're, she doesn't do that much focus damage. On your role. but yeah, yeah. yeah more importantly the the issue is that it's very frustrating when you are very confident in the things that you're doing and you don't get rewarded for it like your yeah. your amount of effort put into a game and the skill that you have in it doesn't mean anything because it's a team-based game it's cool that you're yeah. fucking good at it but that doesn't mean shit if it doesn't if your team doesn't work as a as a as a unit and mm -hmm. that's just not a natural thing people don't just yeah. naturally work together as a team it's not something you just get born with right like seriously it's just it's frustrating because you don't yeah being it, a it's team why it's why top that, level teams do uh, scrims to specifically practice like how they're going to behave so that they are on the same page yeah. generally and it's why high yeah. level gameplay yeah. in matchmaking is where you can only match where high, the top level players can only matchmake with one teammate period and they so that every single scrims, team though. only has pairs and so what they what they have is all of their gameplay is full of comms like they're they're coordinating yeah. it's like the yeah. issue we yeah. have andrew is that Assuming that everything you're saying is correct and you know exactly what to do and how to play everything and how to react to everything, what you do not do is you do not coordinate whatsoever. So yeah, you do I not know. communicate yeah, to your it. team on any level what you're going to do or anything. So you, what often happens is that you immediately are alone. Like we all run in together and then immediately you split off from the team as the tank and are completely isolated and die. And everyone else is fighting something else because you just ran off and nobody knew what you were doing. And so, like, the problem here is that, uh, and this is a universal problem throughout Overwatch, is that people have assumptions about what should happen and what they're going to do. And then you uh, die immediately and then you watch the replay and you're like, oh, everyone ran in five different directions because they were all very sure of what was about to happen. And none of them were on the same yeah. page as each other. 
And so that's the comms are like yeah, the number one thing that's it's like more important than player skill. <laughs> it's, it's just almost actually having almost plans important. and coordinating. I when I play tank, I always like go super hard on comms, and it doesn't mean that the team is coming as well, but uh, but some, a lot of the time they're listening, and like yeah, I, I get easily 50% more wins because of comms. If I as a oh, tank, yeah, no, like comms like, are my weak point too because I'm afraid of people. <laughs> yeah, but, and, well, I'm, I, and, I, and i've I'm been just... confirmed because whenever i talk to random people in overwatch they they're really toxic and shitty yeah that's yeah but uh... continue, in continue calm uh, but the 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 problem like just to not let the point go of of uh splitting off and doing your own thing um the problem is actually worse than what you're explaining uh, well it's not a problem but the, the, the conundrum is worse than you're explaining keith because once you start practicing syncing with your team and some characters that and some heroes specifically require more of that coordination than others but it, it doesn't matter you always need coordination at a certain point once you start doing that the the requirement stops being be, uh, being able to coordinate but, uh, but what it starts being is being able to compensate for the lack of coordination of other play yeah. players so there's it's yeah. just you just raise the ceiling of how difficult it is so at lower at lower ranks like i think if you're good enough with your with your mechanics i think up to diamond you can you can just forget about coordination and just brute force probably but you get to start getting higher than that and not that i have experience because i've never gotten above platinum but start got, got getting higher than that. Like at least from what I see, top level players play. What they do is they're they're capable of accounting for lack of coordination. They can see even the body language, even like the pathing that certain people take, and like that's easy to see at lower levels because you like you see a Winston go left side on Junktown defense point one, and like just out of spawn they go like all the way into like these rooms that are on the left side and like okay this winston is throwing immediately and like nine times out of ten that's the case because you, you can just tell they don't know what the game but they don't know the, the map um i want to uh, i i don't mean to interrupt but i want to yeah, i yeah. want to no, no, focus on that point really quickly which is like you bring up like oh that winston is throwing right and what mm -hmm. really bothers me about overwatch in general it but is a thing that i think has been exacerbated the longer i have played is that uh, like Andrew was saying a minute ago, it kind of doesn't matter how good you individually are because it's a team game, right? So like you yeah. individually have very few levers you can pull to make mid-match adjustments that will affect reactively how you are doing in the game, right? And I'm, I'm gonna make an example with a fighting game just to kind of demonstrate my thought process. I'm playing Street Fighter. Uh, I notice my opponent is jumping in a lot and I am not reacting to it. So they're able to cross the gap and hit me, put me into block stun, get frame advantage and pressure me. And if they get a hit uh, and I, I'm, I'm like trying to attack them and I'm not using my proper anti-air, they suddenly do a full combo and I lose half my health bar. How do I deal with this situation? I recognize that they're jumping in. I back up to give myself some more space and I start anti-airing them. You know, if I'm playing Chun-Li, I'll just, I'll standing heavy punch and it knocks them right out of the air every time. There is an answer to this problem that I am able to interact with that changes the state of the game so that then they need to do their strategy and figure out how to bait an anti-air or like they, they need, they stop jumping in and change how they play, right? In Overwatch, it's not that simple. In Overwatch, uh, I'm 
playing Tracer. I see the opponent has reacted to me by, I don't know, Junkrat trapping me and, and, and murdering me instantly. Okay, what can I do as Tracer? The answer is nothing. I switch to a different character. Okay, but then that that's not that's means not true though. I'm I I think it is very true in a lot of cases. Or I'll use Zenyatta, right? I'm playing mm -hmm. a Zenyatta. I need to keep line of sight on enemies. The enemy has a widow. They murder me instantly. Sure, there is a variability of of how this works and like little things I can do to to play better. But Overwatch is a game of counters. And your your tool set is the vast amount of characters that are in, are in the role you play. But it's very hard to to play this game well and get practice at the same time, because yeah, oftentimes, thing, 100%. oftentimes you swap to another character. And that is a bad decision because you don't know how to play them. And yeah. swapping to that character punishes your team, which gets to the greater point, which is. There are very few individual levers you can pull playing Overwatch with a team that make the team better or safer, but there are many levers you can pull that instantly fuck your entire team and lose the game for the team. It is very, yeah. very hard to individually win a game of Overwatch, but it is extraordinarily easy to individually cause a team to lose yes and that is fucking awful feeling <laughs> to learn <laughs> this game because it oh, means yeah. all of your yeah. incremental growth and progress getting better does not feel rewarding and is incredibly small in the grand scheme of things but mm -hmm. every single failure is huge and imminently tangible I mean, am I wrong? I, like, Andrew, Keith, you can correct oh yeah, no, me like, there, it, but that's if, how I feel. If Overwatch yeah. 2 has been having a massive drop in players, I would directly guess that that is because I feel the game is directly more stressful to play now in Overwatch 2 than it was in Overwatch 1. It's like, faster. It's, it's faster, faster. It's more lethal. It's more punishing. There's fewer people in each team. There's less structure to the it's team because the team now has dude. one tank. It's very tiring. Yeah. So it's very fragile. Where like, with a relatively short, small number of players, like, I just think about like the number of times, like, like last night we, uh, I think we were walking out of spawn, and like a combination yeah. of like I think Junkrat and Kiriko spam killed both of our dps instantaneously simultaneously right at the beginning of the fight i'm like oh, there goes another 30 what there goes another 30 seconds like you're just like holy shit <laughs> like the, the the rate at which this uh what? the number of ways this goes bad and how hard it and how like how important every individual player is to playing the game and coordinating within a game that's almost important impossible to coordinate and this complicated yeah. with this many switch ups and so on like it is actively stressful. Like, I am convinced that our team is the most stable as a whole when I play tank, but playing tank is fucking stressful <laughs> because you're the only tank and you have to <laughs> you have to engage in this yeah. incredibly complicated like rock, paper, scissors system where not only yeah. are you playing care trying to play a tank that is either 
countering or at least not being countered by the enemy tank but you have to think about how your tank interacts with the rest of the entire enemy team while synergizing with your team like how mm-hmm. oh your tank has an advantage against their tank cool but your tank's completely shut down by the fact that they picked bastion and anna and like those characters literally make your character unplayable so who do you switch to without also becoming massively vulnerable to their tank because only one tank on each team and there's no longer the two tanks that synergize and, and complement each other like there were in the old days like it used to be that you could do Zarya Ryan to have a synergizing frontline that would work together specifically, or you could be like oh, a big tank on frontline and then flanker wacky tank that's going all over the place like Hamster. But now if you pick Hamster, it's like, okay, now their team has no frontline, so you have to be a very specific type of, hit, yeah. of touch and go, like like uh, hit and run tank that is making a frontline presence to make the team not just crumple but also is playing hamster correctly and those are like almost at odds with each other and like yeah like i it's very stressful being like okay they picked they picked pharmacy so now i have to pick some kind of dps that can interact with pharmacy but also kind of in in some way the entire team also kind of collectively has to make choices to counter this problem Uh, because one because one person can't be expected to solve this entire uh, a two enemy problem uh, and like the number of like specific changes that have to happen to solve certain problems and, and the number of ways you can be hard countered while having a high impact, low time to death game, it, it, it can feel like there's like entire matches where you can't interact and you're like you're spending the whole time running back and it can be very stressful. And I, I can see why a lot of people would just stop playing to play what's a, what's argue even though there's even though the competition is arguably higher uh higher impact and even faster time to death and even more downtime in the in the cases of like battle royales but those are like social hangout games because the idea of winning is so hopeless that they're like lol whatever teehee i'm walking around picking up loot and oh we died (laughs) because that's like lower stress than overwatch where you have to like high engagement try to contribute for like 15 minutes straight and it's nothing's working and like and then you uninstall you're touching on the point or, or, or on a point that I, I wanted to make after uh, after uh, Toaster's example of Junkrat against Tracer. Um, so the first thing is Overwatch does and historically has done a terrible job at teaching its players how to play the game. And that's it very made frustrating no because <laughs> no effort whatsoever, like none. The the nuances of, of uh, even basic things like p- counterpicking, which I think it is what the game is about in a sense, but it isn't as drastic as you're making it out to be toaster. Or I think it isn't as drastic as most people think it is, uh, at least not in DPS and, and support. In tank, it's a little bit more uh, more focused on counterpicking. But I think the the what Overwatch doesn't do and what players take a long, long time to learn is to play differently. And it's not about just have like tracer is a good is is, is a fantastic uh, DPS, but uh, if you if you or aim is good, it doesn't even matter if your aim is good. Like if it isn't good, you're just a lower rank. But it's fine. It, like tracer works at any rank, but you need to be able to do different things with tracer. So for example, sure. against a junkrat, you need what you need to do if junkrat is your target, which it can be. It, and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes you have your other DPS sure. is a flash or something, and she can take care of yeah. junkrat, uh, or perhaps she can. Um, 
but uh, if you're going up with a tracer against a junk rat what you need to do is distract him you're not really trying to kill the junk rat you're trying to stop his choke spam and sure. obviously having communication with the team and be you know people team okay junk rat is looking at me you guys push up and there's a lucio pushing up your tank or whatever like that's why screaming it, you mentioned it uh keith uh, screaming is such a great way to learn the interactions and of course they're very dependent on communications but even in in solo queuing you can still do that and train and practice that but the problem is uh, it goes it 100 goes back to what you were saying toaster is that the game does not reward you and i learned yeah. that while playing dps uh i think my first lesson on that on the lack of reward was with echo and as i learned echo and echo got me uh, basically, Echo got me out of uh, silver five into uh, lower gold. I think if I, I, I've been up and down a little. I'm I'm currently like silver two or something to that extent in DPS. Um, yeah, but Echo is a tricky character to play at lower ranks because people uh, supports don't aren't supports don't don't support. They they sort of they heal and do their own thing. And when when I say they don't support, I mean they are not actively thinking of what their DPS or tank are doing. So and and the echo is very easy because she fly or very easy to see that because she flies so your your supports are not even looking, um, so you know it's easy to lose track of what your echo is doing. Uh, yeah. And for example, as an, when I play an Anna and I know that there's an echo, I know I'm not going to be able to play a frontline Anna, uh, even though Anna goes really well with echo because echo floats in the air or it's easy to hit it because she has a big hitbox, uh, better than Farah anyway, at least in my opinion. But as echo, what happens is. Echo has a, an interesting playstyle where her uh, damage output doesn't drop off at, at long range, so you can just spam from very, very far away and, and do her right click with those bombs and yeah, just sort of like every projectile character. Yeah, yeah, uh, or, or spam chokes or, or go for headshots and stuff like that. Or and she she's either doing that or she's going really, really close, either on like a flank yeah. or or a front line, depending you know, on your tank, on your composition. And she's going really close to do the beam and do and kill and kill people very fast. Uh, yeah. But she can only really go really close if your team allows for that. So while I was learning Echo, a lot of my games, I was doing low, low amounts of damage because spamming from far away was uh it, it, you know it doesn't it's not where you get the most damage and also i wasn't winning as much but i was dying very little because it was just a lot, a lot of playing so defensively and i was playing defensively because my team wasn't supporting me either because they were playing independent characters like for example an echo and a sombra kind of they work together but as long as there's communication usually it doesn't or or the tank is like hog for example with an echo is sort of kind of very dangerous because hog is such a level of control thing uh, when well it used to have anyway but there's a lot of compositions that don't play or at least i haven't learned how to play with echo because echo can go a a can sort of play with everything but you need to be a master <laughs> and i'm not but what i learned is that i could do my thing i could be like okay i did my job but i still i knew i wasn't contributing and that's where the sort of the sort of uh like you know you're landing your shots with as your widow, but your team 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 is still losing. You need to switch to a, a like a May or something, which is very short range, because yeah. you're gonna still learn land your shots, but you're gonna have a lot more impact on the on the play. And that's where the counter picking comes from. You just need to be aware yeah. that uh, like I, support that's where that's where it's the worst because supports have lower impact on kills or tend to, and you can even yeah. like you can you can be an, an amazing aim and 
uh, I, I I dropped. I, I was as high as platinum four. I think uh, as Lucio as Lucio one trick, and that's where I decided to learn the game. And I and I I decided to learn the game because I dropped down to silver two. <laughs> Yeah, uh, from a platinum. And I mean, uh, I think and, I think part of my issue here, though, is that even I mean, what you say is correct, right? Like the game's bad at teaching you what to do and and how to react to things and and react in the moment. Like, oh, I'm trying to do this thing as Tracer. I need to actually do a different thing as Tracer. I think that's yeah. completely true. But the issue I'm having is that your breadth of skill as a one trick just playing a, a handful of characters or whatever is actively difficult to improve your chances if something occurs that that suddenly means the answer to your problem is on a different character or is as a yeah. counter or something right and like oh yeah so yeah. like as you said like you need to switch to may well like i'm i'm playing dps right I can play like five characters and I'm trying very hard to learn more, but let's say we're all playing a team and the rest of my team has to switch to different characters or switch their strategy. And the solution is we need to do X, Y, and Z. And in order for this to work, we need a DPS that plays widow. We need, we need a widow to make this strategy work. I uh, can't do that. <laughs> like that yeah, would be, that that would kill the game for everyone because I don't have that skill. But you're, you're misunderstanding my point. I don't think I didn't mean that you need to switch to May. I meant that yeah. if you did switch to May, you would win, which is slightly <laughs> different. <laughs> I do understand the nuance there. I actually, okay, okay. I actually yeah. do understand the nuance there. Yeah, I guess what so I'm saying though is it's it's very difficult to do that in a match and get yes. get a a uh positive outcome because oh, practicing yeah. mid-match is throwing i guess is my yeah is my point like yeah, yeah, yeah like incompetitive or like i mean i guess even in a greater sense i mean single like, player yeah 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 yeah. in single player no, totally no, agree no player, this makes sense player, yeah it's just what's, it's for me um, what's just absolutely bonkers about overwatch as a video game is that in order to learn this game, like like if any if anyone at ever at Blizzard has ever had a problem with the fact that like YouTubers and streamers and influencers shape the public discourse about this game, then that's too bad. It's their fault because you literally can't yeah. learn this game by playing it. Like the game yes, offers yeah, you exactly. no tools to learn how to play it well. And what I find interesting is that even the game yes. knows how to play itself well sometimes. Like the AI in this game is awful in bot matches uh the yep. only one that the only character that's ever dangerous is that if you put it on aimbot difficulty zenyatta is terrifying because zenyatta's aim <laughs> is absurd oh. and his kit his kit yeah. is so simple mechanically that it absolutely can just ai oh just or orb somebody and on my team and on the enemy team and then then aim shot aim at heads very well so Zenyatta's terrifying Ironically, as the aimbot. Omnic has really good uh, aimbot. But what I, but what I find very interesting <laughs> yeah. is that if you fight against an AI team in this game and you kill three of them, the other two of them start running back to spawn together to regroup with the respawning teammates, which is a thing yeah. that the game itself never teaches players to do. Uh, yeah. So like, there's several entire teams. Like, forget matchups being, which is of course a core part of the game 
team fights yep. as a concept, trickling, even, regrouping, yeah. Yeah. how to engage and how not to engage, how certain team, how certain characters do play together and other characters should be expected not to play together, entire dynamics of how a team works and how you should be expected to play as a team are fundamentally never communicated to the players by anyone besides yeah. like flats or someone like you have yeah. to watch a streamer yeah. to get any kind of external uh, knowledge about how this game works because this game is so poorly tutorialized that i played this game for months while thinking symmetra was cool not knowing how her gun worked because the, yeah. like the tutorial like forget the idea of how the, the teams game doesn't tell work. you yeah forget how <laughs> teams no work. forget how matchmaking uh forget how like Forget tutorializing gameplay, like teamwork. Forget tutorializing meta concepts. What, yeah. <laughs> forget tutorializing what a game's character's intended role is or how the roles should interact. This game doesn't even teach you what the buttons do for most characters on a complete level. Yeah. Like, yeah. Symmetra's beam, it is never explained to you in a meaningful way that Symmetra's beam, the way it works is you need to hold her left click down on a shield or a Maywall, or a Torb turret, or an enemy player for several seconds, and then its damage will ramp up from like 30 damage per second to like 120 damage per second, and that's the entire source of her being able to do damage in most contexts, as, as, as yeah. from her turrets. Or like right now, I didn't know that. I, I just, had no fucking clue. Just as an in, just is indication here, I yeah. had no idea she had a ramp up mechanic. I thought I yeah. vaguely remember hearing once that she like recharged her gun off of stuff like that. I thought that meant like ammo. Like I didn't realize. And he does. Oh, yeah. he does and do that, and too. that was another not that. communicated mechanic that the game never teaches you about. Is that uh, they? I think they removed. Actually, I forgot if they removed it and then put it back or not. But in Overwatch One. When Symmetra, did, yes. was, uh, when Symmetra was beaming against an enemy shield, she had infinite ammo. So, like, she would not, not drain... Ammo. She, I think it, I think it even recharged repeated. it, yeah. Recharged so, like, it, so, like yeah, her yeah. ammo goes down the longer she beams, which leads to her having to reload. And her reloading is bad because it means she loses... She doesn't reset her charge, charge, but it's time she's not shooting, which means that her her charge, her invisible beam that, that they don't put on the screen anywhere uh, that determines her damage... Uh, is going down because it immediately goes down uh and yeah. it has three levels yeah. of charge and so you want to be level three charge beam the only feedback you get about this is that uh her beam gets bigger and louder and it starts getting like a wah-wah yep. effect that tells you like oh that's level three it's going oh, it's a phaser effect but like Excuse in, me? The, in the noise <laughs> of the game losing its entire goddamn mind of audio sensory nightmare like I yeah. literally didn't notice that for months <laughs> that it was even doing that because who's looking at your gun when you're playing the game? It's so like desperately the game yeah, the one the, every character needs an in-game tutorial that teaches you the intricacies of how their kit actually works because they don't tell you. But also stuff like that needs an interface element. Like I think they just added an element to Orisa where when she ults, it tells you her current damage percentage, so you can tell no, that yeah. was how strong there. it currently was. It always there? Was, was it just so noisy yeah. that I never noticed it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always from the beginning. Yeah. For a while, I was like, they need some yeah. kind of feedback here, and like, like Symmetra needs Symmetra has... needs a charge meter that's visible, akin to like Zarya's damage number, uh, that tells yes. you how good yeah. it is. And but also they just need to tell you how it works at all, and they need to tell you about how it interacts with shields and like. 
I launched Overwatch just now well, to okay. show you a comparison point because Brigitte, when I play as Brigitte oh, here. Oh, yeah, Brigitte. I was going to say Brigitte, yeah. Yeah, so I just launched into Brigitte, and what's very noticeable to me is that her ult says gain armor, empower barrier shield, and provide extra health to nearby allies. What does any of that mean? Brigitte's ult it's does not give her does. armor. It gives her it a does. temporary boost of 100 health maximum. She it's already has. She already has. Not, okay, I'll let it run now. No, no, oh, yeah, it, it is uh, armor, yeah, but it specifically it, it, gain, it gives her 100 temporary maximum health, which means that it's re it's rehealable health. But specifically, armor, what, yeah. what this thing does not really explain is that it makes her shield three times as wide and lets it which stun people, which is its fun, number yeah. one most important mechanic. The idea that yes. Brigitte even has a stun ever is never mentioned anywhere in this like F1 menu. And that kind of highlights the folly of the idea of trying to tutorialize characters via an F1 like cheat sheet is that trying to fit it all on one screen when they're this complicated doesn't work. You need a dedicated mission or something like a tutorial no, he, that explains every character in the game. And it needs to be in the game in a playable, accessible way that is supported by Blizzard specifically. And not just mm, like, oh, fair. I gotta, I gotta find it. an obscure SVB video that tells me how to play the game that Blizzard made for me and yeah. for them. Be and I then the, the subjective. Biggest... Sorry. And like, ideally, they would also then also uh, make a tutorial on how the character is currently understood by the public to be meant to be played, and try to actually not just tell you how the kit works, but also embed on you some level of like what your intended behaviors are like sombra like yeah. what exactly is the gameplay loop as sombra and what are you trying to accomplish moment to moment because that's so fundamentally understood by people that just pick her and as on a whim and try her out that they don't even know what they're even trying to go for and that would require work and it would be it would be work that does not and the problem here is it does not lead to an immediate benefit for the company's bottom line and that you cannot in, you have to make this a more abstract exactly. argument to the the suits that tells them, see, this will increase player like knowledge and understanding retention. and their enjoyment, which leads to retention and then hopefully leads yeah. to more profit in the long term. But we can't sell the tutorial, <laughs> but like and it would have to be up and it would have to be updated because like a character like Life Weaver. Yeah, and it have to uh, be like, forced as well, I think. Because, you know, people yeah. will like they've, I've been playing this game for 100 hours. I don't need a tutorial. And but, that's like, not true. <laughs> Yeah, and you, and you make you characters do. like Lifeweaver or Kiriko where they clearly they have an intended way that they want you to play that character. But then after they're out for a month, you're like, oh, everyone who's good at this character found a com is to playing them completely differently than even we made him to be played. We need to update the yeah. tutorial based on like the actual reality of what the game turned out to be and not what we try what bin we tried to put this character in. But this is all like the kind of work that would actually increase the quality of the player base and not sell a uh, minotaur skin so it, it won't happen yeah that's the yeah i think I, I like i think the first step the first step would be ui uh every every hero should have well not every hero but there's some heroes that absolutely need a ui improvement and you know by just well, adding stuff big quality like, of update was supposed to do too it added a lot of necessary visual indicators for stuff that like like the idea yeah, of like well, how long is Arissa's uh, gold last for well now you can see that <laughs> now they, you can they see have been how adding long that gold lasts for. but specifically um, brigitte for example we need we need 
Brigitte needs to have a Lucio Lucio style uh, friendly counter because when you play Lucio, you can always tell how many friendlies you have around you. Do you know? Do you know the number? Oh, in them? you mean like an yeah. indicator around you? I mean, yeah, I, I yeah. haven't checked. I haven't seen exactly how many because they added like seven hundred mini items. Few. Yeah, there's a few. Game. But in terms of UI, uh, there's not that many changes. Brigitte needs to. You need to know how many friendlies you have, and you need to know their status of the healing that you're doing. Because Brigitte is a very misunderstood character because the UI doesn't tell you what she's doing. And like, I bet most most people at Silver and Below don't understand that the moment you do melee damage with Brigitte, you're triggering a two uh, no a three second long heal on everybody in line of sight of you every friend of you uh that lasts with like functionally infinite range it's not yeah. infinite i think it's 30 30 it's meters functionally or infinite because it's it's the size of yeah, like a diva bomb it's really big yeah it's yeah so, but the thing long is range but the thing is you don't need to maintain like it's not like lucio you don't need to maintain line of sight you, you like you peek out of a corner do melee damage hide hide away from your team hide away from the enemy that's how she's meant to be played and the reason why she's meant to be played like that is because even though she's very because she has a youtuber shield. influencer said so no no because the, the thing is she's frontline who are you right she's, now she's frontline so at lower <laughs> rank nobody attacks a brigitte because she's she can't die very fast but the the problem is everybody nobody plays at high ground so if you want to kill a brigitte you need to be ready for her to come at you and kill you because uh, she will kill you after a little bit. She doesn't do that much damage, but she—I mean, she will if you're not playing at high ground. But at any it, w against people who know what they're doing, they're going to take high ground and they're going to kill your Brigitte because she's frontline. She needs to be sort of at the front to be able to do melee damage. Like her whip is the longest reach she has, which is pretty good actually. I think it's like 15 meters or something to that extent. Uh, but her whip is also a defensive weapon because she, it boops enemies away. So, like for example, a diva dives a, a Brigitte. And uh, and uh, Brigitte just sort of whips the whips the diva away. That's very important. Or Winston doing his thing and all that. So whip the whip is not necessarily uh, usable against all comps. But nobody understands her like that. What they they look at her. She has a shield. Her rally is all rally to me. Let's go. And like I've seen, they're so it's so common to see people use rally and not even put the shield up. And they just go and do damage. But they reduce the the rally to just health buffs. Which is, I mean, it's fair, I suppose, but it, it's not, you know, it's not what it is now because it's the stun, it's the seven hundred shield. She has a shield as powerful as Reinhardt, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, but I mean, the, all the stuff that you're saying are things that aren't at all at any point, no way, no how conveyed to the player when never, they start yeah. playing this character. No one would but, ever know unless yeah. they go online to Google or YouTube.fucking.com yes. and ask, hey, how do you, what is this character you play, with the yeah, dumb shield? I do that. And yeah, I do that when I learn, when I want to learn a character. You shouldn't need to do that. Like, I shouldn't. There's yeah, no yeah. reason to do that. And, you know, there I feel like I need to watch really 100 cool hours system. of tutorials just to figure out what life we were even supposed to do moment to moment because I was so lost playing him and trying to figure out how to contribute at all. It's, I yeah. mean, good luck because none of the top 500 but, players play it, so you're not going to get finish, any fucking good guides. <laughs> just uh, to finish my the, point, uh, just, yeah. sorry, just to finish my point, uh, I will point out that Overwatch 2 has added, and they keep adding it more because I keep noticing those lines more and more. Overwatch 2 has added lines that your characters say that are kind of like tutorials, <laughs> which, no. is for which is, for example, the lines. So that's not, that's not a tutorial. No, no, no. When, when, when uh, you are three v five, for example, 
characters will usually uh, i don't know if it's always because i don't always pay attention but they will usually say we're at a disadvantage our numbers are dwindling i mean i noticed like this yesterday when i was playing yeah. as tracer at one point <laughs> like three people on the team died and tracer was like i can't remember the exact line but she was like wow we're really outnumbered here and then like i yeah. just like ran back to spawn and like yeah, yeah. like i got that and the more, thing that bothered me yeah the yeah. thing that bothered me about that though is that like it's often like they say it after it would have been helpful <laughs> so it's like great uh, <laughs> my team's dead I, yeah might, there might be a delay there might be uh, but what i um and there's another one which is after the game starts right after the game starts and the door is open there's usually one character that says their line their let's go do this and some of them are lines like let's stick together or we're dead and I don't remember who says that, but I think it's somebody who like is Ash or something. Which yeah, I was gonna say I think that's fly. an Ash line. And she, and she, she plays she from says, all like, the way in the back. I think that's the character think, that yeah. doesn't stick together. <laughs> yeah, make, but make, either way, cowboy, the, cowboy at yeah. one point says like group up and roll out or something, and I'm like, wow, yeah, that's yeah. weird. <laughs> so that I think I think they must have like some internal program of of uh, like maybe trying to hint at better game knowledge from their players, but they're completely hampered by either the amount of resources that they have or maybe the higher-ups don't want to add things. Because yeah. the one thing that Overwatch does is it does not have numbers anywhere. It does not tell you any damage numbers. It tells yeah. you health, but it doesn't tell you damage. So there, there's like some, there, there's like some so hang-ups. Hang like, that's what's so brutal about characters like Symmetra is that like I'm looking at her right now and her F1 says, Photon Projector, short-range beam weapon with increasing damage. Increased by what? Increased to what? Increasing How? Why? Yeah. Where? Like yeah, Zarya? Like does she have a she have a mechanic that where she gets power ups? Like tell, yeah. how do you you play this character game? Yeah. Like by contrast, the... I am actually shocked by how comprehensive uh, Mercy's tutorial screen is, where it says Guardian Angel, fly towards an ally. While in flight, jump launches you forward and crouch launches you upward. I'm like, whoa. They explained the whole tech in the pop-up. They that's so that's, they had to. That's such a shock because compared it, to the rest of this it, fucking game. Because it kept getting reported as a bug, so they had to do that because they had to explain that it's yeah. not a fucking bug. Oh it's, my god! So here's the thing: is that it would be nice if maybe instead of uh, skins, we got like PVE tutorial missions per character. Um, you could I add will... them over a slow amount of time and maybe <laughs> you would uh maybe at the end of doing the pve pvp or uh, sorry and at the end of doing this weird tutorial mission for pve you can then have people unlock a skin and it could just or be unlock the character. Again, but it incentivizes people to finish it because they want to get those goddamn fucking skins and then or you maybe unlock the character that would be the nice mechanic thing. early on so they'll continue buying skins because they'll feel like they need to have them to be feeling rewarded so there it's you just, go there's your manipulative pve <laughs> fucking tutorial experience for free no consultation fee but god fucking damn it i swear if i see another fucking person just wandering off into the hills not knowing where they're <laughs> supposed to be pressing buttons that don't even fucking make sense i'll lose my mind like i cannot muster the amount of impatience it must take to just like I, when you see people just like oh just fucking one trick to fi top 500 status like what wouldn't just dying be faster 
Like just it's dying funny would be a much you saying all of this while slowly loading ammo into a gun, <laughs> loving <laughs> lovingly shelling a, a bolt action rifle as you're as you're explaining reward incentive in fucking Street Fighter V's costume story mode, fucking quality of life change. Just ridiculous. Just like does Street Fighter have that? They have like a costume reward for yeah. Street Street, Street Street Fighter Five uh, story modes are like fight this enemy. It like he's gonna jump at you, so it teaches you how to fucking anti air in story mode. And then when you beat story mode, which is like five little easy missions, you get a story mode costume for your character. That's the only oh reason God. why anyone ever plays it. So it's just it's but remarkable to hear you so describe this concept <laughs> uh, <laughs> for Overwatch like as slow. Slowly as you're losing your sanity, a thing that thousands of other games have already done that Overwatch just fumbled. And now we're they not must, even we're not getting must that be a decision. It's a decision by them. They 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 must like have like uh -huh. some rules. The no. same rules that say you must not have any numbers. You There's can rules tell that say they just don't have fucking time. They don't have time to do <sighs> any they don't have time to tie their own fucking shoes in this game. You can when you look at the bug reports every patch, it increases in size exponentially. Like Overwatch 2 came out, I was like, oh yeah, there's some bugs. But then like the next patch, it gets double, then double, then triple. It's like you look at the current bug bug fixes, it's enormous. It's like you cannot you cannot literally fit it onto a single page. It's like fucking how? Yeah, it's how, pretty well, big in the last patch. How is this so ridiculous that you don't even have you have you have more time to add shit than you have time to fix shit? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, like there's one of the things I think about is just like I used to play competitive Super Smash Brothers Melee, which is a crazy video game that does not teach you how to play that game the way yes. that it is played at high level high level. However, I want to be very clear about this. I got better at and learned how to play Super Smash Brothers Melee competitively, a game with a shit terrible training mode and no tutorial from 2002 faster than I'm learning how to play Overwatch. I would I would go so far as to say my moment to moment decision making in Melee, a video game that frequently reaches over 200 actions per minute or uh, that's a lot i Jesus. i it is it's it's about as fast Freaking it's a hell. fighting game as fast and precise as competitive starcraft i am making calmer decisions in that game and reacting to things i am looking at on the screen to a greater and more functional degree than i am at any given moment in overwatch 2 oh no and yes uh, overwatch 2 exists to like simulate the entirety of what going to war feels like for the first time and having no idea how to fire a gun like it yeah, is the completely. worst fucking feeling you can ever have it's where you're like everyone's yelling at me people are dying i'm supposed to do something but i have a gun here that is painted yellow and has a clown face on it what is that <laughs> is it going to kill me I it's don't a game designed know. in a lab Never. to make you sympathetic to people with sensory issues oh, right? that's a great way to put it and like it's just frustrating to me because I feel like my best contribution and the the matches that we win the most, and, and I know that this is like a me issue, it means that like the games that we're losing are games where I'm feeding, but like I feel more competent on the team and I feel like my best strategy 
is to just fucking run away all the time. Like I play my best <laughs> when I I'm if you're in my little Zen, tracer self. Yeah. No, oh, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Does not matter who I'm playing. DPS, support, fucking tank. I feel like the team dies less and does better when I am I follow the group out. I am I'm attached to Keith's ass as the tank. I am sitting behind his Reinhard shield. I left click until I empty a single clip. It don't kill anyone. And then I go, all right, I'm out. And then I flee back to spawn. That is when we do the best. And it feels it's, fucking terrible. Uh, yeah. It's awful. It's, and I really it, I wish could. that there was a PVE campaign or something that we could play that would <laughs> allow me to engage with the game with all of you in a way that does not make me feel like I am making all of your days worse by just trying to learn the fucking game. I think, uh, like that's you're you're, 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 you're talking in a. <laughs> it's not you're, you're canceled, though, a, or is it? it you're is. talking about a very real, real part. issue. Uh, the co-op PVE stuff, uh, similar to archives, isn't canceled. However, because the very nature of what we mean by PVE is something you can play whenever the fuck you want. That part's gone. That won't be there. They will only be co-op story missions during events on the battle pass, just like it was for archive missions. You only get the one shot to play it and then come back. And maybe, maybe it'll come back. I don't know how fucking battle pass content works. Honestly, I don't know if it will ever come back, but <laughs> the missions, the co-op missions will be tied to the battle pass. They will be tied to whatever event is happening and that will be it. Uh, that is what every confirmation blog post, Twitter fo fucking shit, all of it has been from the developers that it is tied to the battle passes current state. They there will be no missions. The hero story missions were the ones that were going to be stuck. Going to be torture. On, uh, on... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we, we really story. before it's you go on a giant rant, we really need to introduce what you're talking about because you were just going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, Toaster did an obvious layup to transition to this topic, and we're not introducing it at all. I try but, my uh, best to segue, yeah. Yeah. But Overwatch <laughs> was, was idea, Overwatch yeah. was sold with the idea of having a PVE campaign and like to the point where that was literally the 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 advertised was, like headliner of Overwatch right. 2 was that it would have a PVE campaign with like leveling up and having a skill tree and you and your team of somewhat confusingly four players, which is not any of the previous numbers of players you have in Overwatch games, because it was a six player <laughs> game and it was becoming a five player game, but campaign is four player confusingly, because uh, it's two DPS, a tank and a healer, I guess. Uh, but it was going to be, you know, you're gonna, you go fight left for dead style enemies. They're going to be, we promise they're going to be more interesting than the ones you fought in the previous, uh, like sort of like wacky event sort of PVE things. Cause it's going to be like, now there's a crazy robot that grabs you and you need to be saved by your teammate and those kinds of mechanics that make co-op more compelling in a campaign context. And they're kind of mandatory because uh, if not, you just have dumb AIs trying to play as human char characters and that doesn't just work very well. So they need to have like interference mechanics. And so, <coughs> so it all looked, that all looked promising. My concern was obviously from the get go that like, the three existing PVE missions they did make weren't the most interesting things, but hopefully with all these new tools and a, it being designed from the ground up as being the point of the game, like they'll totally make a cool PVE mode and then also uh, have the updated PVP as a side thing. Uh, but instead what happened is that Overwatch 2 came out without its PVE at all, 
because they were sitting on a multi-year content drought where no new characters and no new maps for the real modes were coming out for literally years in Overwatch 1. And so there was eventually this like the moment where like even the audience was like, okay, y'all fuckers need to uh, make this update happen at some point because you can't leave the last character as being Echo for like three years and then just abandon this game forever. Although, to be completely honest, I was kind of having a good time just playing a stable game for years and having yeah. an old, the old school multiplayer because I, as somebody who has not been actively playing live service games, I'm used to a game just coming out and that's just what the game is and then you play that for years. So I'm not actually that bothered by content drought, but that was the demand. And that's obviously how you make your money as a service and that's how they that's the incentive structure that they have so they came out with just the pvp moment the, the pvp part of the game and they launched it with battle passes and seasons and essentially the game was out and it was kind of seen as early access and kind of seen as like the without the full experience version of the game but simultaneously it was also seen as like like mechanically functionally like financially and incentive wise like that is the product launch has already happened and so the moment this kind of happened that I was figuring, OK, we are never going to get a campaign released as like a giant, huge update because the structure, the incentive structure now is to roll out content over time. So I always figured at that point that like, oh, we're going to get mission packs eventually when they finally figure out the PVP, the, the PVE. But the big looming issue here was that they had to they had promised these like skill trees for every single character and each skill tree was going to have uh, deviations of and like variations of their abilities that you could customize and tweak and you get essentially get to have like a wacky power fantasy version of each character instead of the balanced pvp one which is a fun idea but they have to do that for like 40 characters and every time that they add a new character every two months to the game that one also increases the amount of work for the as of yet still unlaunched PVE mode that they're still supposedly working on. And they Overwatch launched with three characters and already has added two more in. So there's five new Overwatch 2 characters alone already and a new one coming out in two seasons. And that's just the endless treadmill. And so the news here is that they, they kind of like on a live stream in the worst possible way in because in vague terms, they like... They revealed that apparently the they are no longer going to be releasing the PVE in that scale, like on in that context. Like they're still releasing missions that have story and new enemies and are playable with the cast and all that on our A campaign thing. At, at but they will no longer have this like there's no longer this promise for like a war, Warframe style like endless replayability grind skinner box thing uh with the variable skills and on my end of things i'm like I'm, I'm sad to see wacky customizable kits for the characters go away i'm not sad to see skinner box mechanics go away but the internet has lost their entire shit and in part for good reason like I, as much as i don't want to see experience meters in overwatch in the left for dead mode uh, what did happen is that like promised features that Overwatch 2 was launched with the promise of I was almost had sold on but you can't really say sold when the game wasn't I guess technically you could buy like a weird bundle but the game was technically free uh, 
but the except for those who bought Overwatch One, which got erased. <laughs> yeah, but Overwatch <laughs> One was not sold with the promise of Overwatch Two's PVE campaign, so you can't say that's yeah. a broken promise. True, uh, true. It's just the fact that and, and it still did have a game stolen from me. <laughs> yeah, but there's also the ship of Theseus <laughs> argument where no matter what you liked about Overwatch One, it always was changing unrecognizably. Eventually, over time, like. They added, you can't be the same hero as each other on the same team. They added role queue. They added all these limitations over time that, and they changed half the characters and then added a bunch of new ones that fundamentally changed how the game plays. Uh, so like you, you were the, you could never go home to, to Hobbiton, no matter what, of the Shire, no matter how much you wanted to, uh, in Overwatch one anyway. But, uh, the, the biggest reveal most recently was that, uh, was that stuff like stuff has come out that revealed that made it clear that like they knew they were no longer going to fulfill the promise of skill trees and everything before they launched Overwatch 2. Seems to be the implication from like what what's, what's come out is that they already it's, knew this well, was not you, going to happen and that when it did come out, it was going to be in a different form. What and you so, described about the character like, oh, five characters came out with Overwatch 2 already. They knew that from the get go. There's no fucking way you looked at that and said like, uh, so we're just gonna make 17 skills for a new character every two months. <laughs> like, is that what we're doing? And someone's like, "Uh oh, I don't think we can do that." <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, 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 I know that they knew that. <laughs> I, the the struggle yeah. here is, uh, on some level, there's the developers that I'm honestly, I think, were working their asses off to try to make the thing that they were assigned to do. Sure. But I, behind I, the I, scenes, I mean, the the people that are managing this shit they will just change their mind about what the focus is. And so behind the scenes uh, from, ins from what we're getting from supposed insider sources was that uh, they kept uh, the people running and managing this all kept uh, reallocating people more and more away from the PVE team and towards like the battle pass and the PVP team and so on. And they were starving that development team while still maintaining the promises. And so it was like, they was stuck in this like doomsday nightmare where the people working on this thing couldn't talk about it, but fundamentally knew they would never be able to actually make this thing work and catch up with the content treadmill the other team was making to make this a viable mode while not being allowed to talk about it while also being uh, while the people like, that were running this were still like keeping silent and keeping the implied promise running for like the last like what six months now. And now it finally came out and it came out in the most just the worst way they could possibly do it, which is that they didn't they wanted to frame it as a good thing. So they kind of like hyped it up like, oh, this will allow all these new possibilities. And I believe on some level that they're like, oh, yeah, this this the reducing the complexity of the multiplayer uh, of the PVE lets them uh, lets them release content faster, potentially for it because they're not chained by this other promise. But they like did it in a sneaky confusing like offhand comment in a stream as opposed to like here's our big comprehensive uh like very specifically worded and very carefully uh managed like scripted video so instead what they the mistake they made is they left this to be a thing for the audience to collectively react to and content creators to uh make what was in, honestly kind of clickbait about uh this is this is this is well, rough because every time I talk I mean, about this, it's really hard to talk about it without sounding like I'm defending Blizzard because I don't want to defend them. But also the narrative no, about this stuff is, is also a, wrong. <laughs> it's frustrating. It's a, it's a it's two it's a two sided affair where both sides yeah. are bad. 
They uh, fucked up so bad like, that the oh, narrative became yeah. PVE is literally canceled, which is not true. In fact, 90% or, of what they were Overwatch making too. is still coming out, which is that they made the missions with the story and the enemies, yeah. and those are happening, but the specific character progression mechanics are not going to make it because of the nightmare that was to develop. And because they had released the information so poorly, no one knows what's happening. And even yes, when I collectively yeah. get to the point where I know that much about the situation, I'm still kind of stressed about it because even though I'm kind of cool with the idea of a like Left 4 Dead style missions, you play with your friends and then you loop through on higher difficulties and that's your hangout game. I'm worried that they're going to make each of them seasonal things to, that you either only can access if you buy that battle pass and then and then they go away forever if you didn't buy the battle pass or worse they're an event for a specific season and then those missions just go away forever and you can't just play them what they yeah. want because if they were even slightly sane as a as a game developer who's supposed to make amends and fulfill their promise to their audience they desperately need to roll out a few missions each season as they as they promised and then keep them forever so they can slowly build up a full crazy campaign of a bunch of content to play akin to like how when you play modern world of warcraft or final fantasy 14 you can queue through these like 500 dungeons that are all in the game now and they never took any of them away and look at them go years of content and if they don't do that i will be deeply frustrated anyway sorry for the giant filibuster but it was we needed to like actually contextualize any of this because we were just ranting about the end oh. the end point yeah. first it's the end Sorry. of overwatch 2 but cancel so to to, <laughs> to assuage keith's yeah to assuage keith's concerns all of that that he's concerned about is happening so that will be the reality of the pve stuff is that it is not going to stay there there That's, will not yeah. be a menu that says like pve main, like pve modes or whatever they're not going to be in custom matches you can do yourself they are tied to the battle pass as seasonal content that is like themed based on whatever the battle pass theme is similar to star watch even um i don't think that's, and that's true. going to be the pve it's not going to be pve p whatever the fuck shit name they came up with no 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 i mean like, I, don't think that, that, I, I don't think that they're scrapping the existing pve plans to then just make themed packs like it's that's not what, gonna that's it's what... not, no i think i think they're literally going to actually be doing like the overwatch story and those are gonna be missions that I... build the overwatch story it's not gonna be like Oh, this season's Olympus yeah. theme, so this mission pack is but, the Olympus pack, and it's completely disconnected from all the other packs. Yeah. And then, and then this is the Star Watch. I don't think that's happening, no. They might still do events, much... but that's I don't think that is at all what anyone has said the the multi the PvE is going to be. But the there's a the so the there's an interview that was released right after the ori the original announcement. There's an interview on GameSpot. Um that uh specifically says let me see if i can find it over here yeah so basically they 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 uh describe what they're doing as quote a cool co-op mode for this seasonal event and the way they describe this uh is uh is they they put it in a sentence like uh they want people to look at it and be oh there's a cool co-op mode for this seasonal event i'm gonna play it so that's how the way i described it but uh so yeah, I obviously even if they had said okay, we're going to force people to pay and we're going to hide it after the battle passes over or whatever, uh, obviously their plans can change. But I would I I tend to agree with Andrew. I'm pretty sure their current plans are to ha first make these 
missions that they're eventually, or they're still releasing. I mean, they have released missions like this before, uh, but make these missions not last forever because that's how they have done it so far. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they're also going to charge for it because uh, it, it's as you point out, Keith, the profit incentive is, is, um, is everywhere. They, they, that's, that's it's deeply frustrating. Cause like I would have, yeah. I would have played for, I would have paid 40, 60, $70, whatever as a one-time purchase for all of their PVE content. But if they're going to roll out like one or three, and honestly, it's probably one mission and tie it to the battle pass, I am not paying $10 per mission for the entire campaign. That's insane. Yeah. I I think... In, insane I don't, I, or insanely profitable? I don't know. They'll well, find out real fast I, which answer is true. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be the second answer. This second answer. I don't think it's going to be meaningfully important to their profit. The, the, the game is making me the, sad, guys. The way the the way the, the the battle pass works already filters so many people out that it's only people who have disposable income that don't you know that 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 uh, they are they have nowhere to put it in. Or it's people. I mean, the, now it's a little bit less predatory than it used to be on on Overwatch One, uh, because loot boxes are predatory. So it's not only are you um, getting money from people who do have disposable income, but you're also getting money from people who don't but can't help themselves. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I honestly like if they're selling, let's say, a million battle passes uh, for per season. I, I think with a with a PVE missions, it's perhaps going to be two million. I don't like that's not that's not meaningful I, I think in terms of the investment that it takes you, you you are correct in that it won't be meaningful in the grander context of all of the things that make overwatch 2 money i think mm -hmm. you are incorrect in your assumption that only the most engaged buy it because no no, no the, just, I, didn't mean, I didn't say engaged i said the people who have the money to spend sh sure uh, I, so, I, again, working in the market research context that I work in, I have very firsthand knowledge of how this stuff works. And, like, you are correct, it is less predatory than loot boxes. However, the incentivization scheme here actually does get people who, like, don't really have disposable income yeah, to purchase this because they yeah. believe that a battle pass with, like, 80 tiers and a bunch of rewards is actually more substantial than funneling their money into random yeah. loot boxes. So it is a more reliable income stream than the gambling stream, which which functions on a very like the thing with loot boxes is that, yes, like everyone buys loot boxes, unfortunately, but the the profit is made from whales, right? It's made from people who spend a lot of money to gamble and money, get yeah. what they're looking for. Exactly. Battle passes are not the same. Battle passes yeah. are a constant, very steady flow of income across all tier levels and all skill levels because people see it as a more reasonable purchase. So, like, mm -hmm. whereas my my buddy Steve back uh, at one of my last jobs, he played Overwatch all the time on console. He is not a competitive player. He does not care about this stuff. He probably bought, like, maybe... 10 loot boxes in his entire time and he was happy to grind for free 
for yeah. his entire experience in Overwatch 1. I know for a fact he has bought every battle pass for Overwatch 2 because mm-hmm. he thinks it's more of a guarantee and he enjoys the experience of playing with his friends and being part of the experience. And yeah. that's where it becomes a very important quote unquote part of blizzard's revenue stream especially right now when there is a lot of uncertainty about the stability and and life like ongoing life of blizzard's games and blizzard as a company obviously they're still doing way better than most companies in most gaming places but when we are speaking on a macro scale about like things with such high levels of uh community engagement and and player engagement Doing something like shitting out uh, one PVE mission that ties into the ongoing serialized story of Overwatch akin to something like Fortnite. Sure, that's an expensive upfront investment, but that is an evergreen, constantly circling flywheel that gets more and more people to buy in over time. Even if they don't ever even play the PVE, the fact that those missions now are tied into it as a FOMO scheme create an engagement cycle where people will buy into it and see that as part of the incentive. But that's Does what that I mean. Sense? Yeah, but I, I think it, it that's what I was trying like to the say. Worst way. It's like the... But, but that's what I was trying to say <laughs> is that the model, the model of the battle pass already as it is, is filtering those people and is yeah. letting them buy the battle pass. It's not... Definitely. It, it, well, it, I'm sure it's going to sell more battle passes. It, the level of yes. investment that they need to make to make missions is so disproportional to the... Like, they, they're better off just offering double the skins instead of making missions. They would get more battle pass sales on just... Like, I, I for example... I haven't ever bought a battle, battle yeah, pass, but, but I have enough. Uh, I have enough coins to buy a battle I, pass if I want. And like I, I, I looked at are... the last one, and I didn't see yeah. anything that that was anything valuable to me. I didn't see anything that I wanted, basically. But maybe if they offered twice as much, uh, maybe there would be one or two that I would like. Yeah. Well, so, I so think is... I think you are correct in your assessment that it would make more people buy the battle pass. But what I think what I'm trying to get at is like it would increase the amount of people buying the battle pass who want the skins. The big controversy here with the PVE, I think, is that there are a lot of people, and I don't actually know if any of them would actually have played Overwatch if a PVE campaign came out. But from a business perspective, Blizzard is looking at PVE and is saying, this is a target audience we are not capturing right now. Well, they How do we get them to buy in? Or how do we... I'm talking... I'm not even talking about PVE archives missions i'm talking about the people who like me like let's just say like a random person who doesn't play competitive overwatch who doesn't play multiplayer but likes the cinematics they watched the first overwatch trailer and said this looks like a pixar it looks like a dreamworks movie i i'd play that if that had a campaign 10 years ago but that's what they wanted blizzard but they canceled that Yes, so well, that's that. what I'm saying, though, is well, that no, they didn't that's what they that. the new the well, they're giving us a souvenir. They're giving us a souvenir of what that thing was while it was in yes. development. They but are the trying to level, drip yeah. feed. They're trying to drip feed. Yeah, content not even is drip feed. Satisfies like the distinction between a Destiny game and a, a Call of Duty campaign is very yes. different. Yes, and I totally, think like while 100%. I personally, I personally prefer the Call of Duty campaign to the Destiny game. Uh, like that that's still not what i don't think that's what blizzard wanted to do at all 
I, I think Blizzard I, wants people I, to play their single player game over and over. They and made over both again. games, so who knows? Y yeah, I think I think the thing here though is that they're just they're trying to capitalize on a what they see as a new untapped market that has been holding off yes. from Overwatch, and they yes. realized exactly as you said the investment is too high to to do a full blown story mode campaign akin to a Halo game, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. and to be honest, that was never in the cards. I don't think I don't think yeah, any person no. in the world very sincerely in good faith believe that would ever happen however i do think they are with this quote unquote cancellation of pve what they're actually doing is going okay that is an audience that has yet to be captured we still do need to capture them if we want our numbers to go up how do we do that in the cheapest and most effective way possible we kind of keep doing what we have been doing and just add some more cutscenes to it. That's the most cost effective way. And we bundle it into the battle pass and funnel people into this ecosystem. And that's where I think the decision making happens. Um, and from that perspective, it makes sense why they did it. That's the that's the kicker of all of this yeah. that I think. No, really I, sucks. I agree. I agree. It makes sense. Yeah, it's like it's a, a totally... good business decision, but as a consumer, yes. but it was no. still a lie. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and I, I, I don't like care about the lying people... part. Like my my biggest thing is that if you were going to do this, I would have rather you had just kept Overwatch one, kept the maintain the same style that you're doing that they were doing eh, every six months. You add a new character or whatever, fine, and then. Just give me some, just be like, oops, well, we want to make this PVE experience, but it requires a battle pass and we have to make Overwatch 2. But like the idea for me, the idea that I waited like three years through a drought and someone's like, no, you don't get rewarded yeah, for that. Funny. And it's yeah. like, well, wh why? <laughs> why did I do all that? <laughs> and then like the game that came out on top of it to make it so it's possible to do whatever their plan once was isn't good either so i went from like like he said like a fairly stable game to whatever overwatch 2 is supposed to be um and then just like i don't like wh why has this been so awful why has it been just a shitty experience from uh announcement to release and then from release to current it's just not been good and uh i i don't i'm not bothered by the 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 business incentive right i get the necessity to move away from free loot boxes that you can pretty much farm without ever spending a dime um and they, i understand the idea anything of, about the change feel good is what's brutal like, they well, they from, also like the loot boxes are gone okay and what they replaced it with was uh, oh seasonal event battle passes here's a trailer for all the skins in our thematic thing we're doing the whole battle pass is themed isn't that crazy 70 percent of the skins that we advertise in the trailer are not in the battle pass you have to pay 20 dollars for them a piece in a separate store in a fomo store that goes away in a week bye bye like what the fuck yeah <laughs> no, no, no 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 week every year every day it's it's uh like, like it refreshes well no, it, it other, 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 other stuff refreshes yeah. but specifically the event oh, items yeah. are only like they make a battle pass with a trailer for the skins for that battle pass that are all themed like here's the olympus one and then the skins in the trailer only like three of them are actually in the battle pass the rest are completely unrelated to the theme and then you have to catch the store in the correct week not even season not even season long but the correct week of that season to actually yeah. get the skin you want and then you pay 20 dollars for it or more <laughs> 
It's or more. It, some, it, I see a lot of twenty-two hundred coins and things. Well, those are bundles. And I, and you can I, just buy the skin outright. And those I, skins. Yeah. yeah, you can buy the skin individually. You don't have to buy the weird bundle. It's like there's yeah. an emote. Whoa. Uh, what What was so frustrating is like they tricked me essentially into buying a battle pass, in that they advertised the, all the skins. I'm like, oh, cool. There's going to be a, a Junker Queen Zeus skin, and there's going to be a Minotaur Ryan skin. I will pay. You know what? Those two skins are actually good enough. I will pay $10 for them collectively this one time and maybe never give you money again. And then the fucking Minotaur Rhine skin wasn't in the battle pass. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? What are you doing? That was the whole point, isn't it? What the fuck are you doing? And then they did yeah. an, they, and they, and, and they, they did an extra level of clearly, uh, like I honestly, I think this is, was intentional manipulation was that, uh, when they then added oh, no, currency to the battle pass the next season, the currency was gold in the icons for the battle pass, which is the color mm -hmm. of the currency that you spend for the battle pass. And this is in the market context of like you talk about Mar you talk to Marty and you talk to people like him about who that buy battle passes about what makes them buy battle passes and how they think about it and how they contextualize it and how they rationalize it and excuse it to themselves and so on. And Marty will talk about how. He only buys a Fortnite Battle Pass when he thinks he's going to play the game enough to not only benefit from the Battle Pass itself, but specifically earn enough currency to get the deal of getting the next Battle Pass for free because you get currency yes. that can pay for the Battle Pass in the Battle Pass. So Overwatch made a Battle Pass that had a currency in it and the icons were gold for that currency which looked like the currency that you use to buy the battle pass but it was actually a separate currency that's silver once you actually have it that only buys overwatch one skins <laughs> which, which is a ever diminishing market that seemingly will never be added to as the and that is completely different function and both currencies are both like if I remember correctly, they're, they're stylizations of like the same letter, like C or E or whatever, but that looks slightly different yeah. with how many lines are through them. But they lied about what color it was because the color is the biggest signifier of which one you're looking at. There's like a purple currency or a red currency, a gold currency, and a silver currency. And they used the icon for the silver currency that's almost identical to the gold currency, and they made it gold, but it was the shape of the silver one that looks the same as the gold one. It's so like tons of people just thought it was the gold currency and they got people to buy a battle pass under the false assumption that they were, you know, doing the business practice that other battle passes do. And it just and they got they just a UI, a, a, a UI kerfuffle made trick people into thinking they were doing a sane choice. It's it wasn't just a like, kerfuffle. It so was frustrating. on purpose for sure. Yeah, for no, sure. it was it was absolutely an intentional lie. And then they got called out on it enough yeah. that they that they changed it. And I'm like. Uh, they changed it twice, in fact. Yeah. With little uh, made a little change, and now it's not like it's sort of colorless. And then they made yeah. it actually gray. And plot twist: the end result for this that that I've noticed is that now the battle pass is arguably worse than ever for non-paying players because now almost the entire battle. So the the battle pass I think has like I think two of the skins are free, uh, which was true originally, and then the rest are paid. But now the entire track of like, because every 10th level is a skin and the other nine levels are a bunch of other things. Now, almost every single one of the free slots is just them giving you the old currency to pay for Overwatch 1 skins. So if you already have the Overwatch 1 no, skins no. you like, then you get no, like that... basically nothing for the for playing the, through the battle pass for free. That's not 
because That's all of those are gone. What's not? Which part's not no, true? No, no. The 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 slots that have the currency have a second slot with like a spray or a voice line or whatever. So oh, you're right because so the interface it, is so trash. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. There's a, it's always a du it's always duplicated up, but it it's still is the fact that at some point, say like after your tenth battle pass or whatever, there will there will definitely come a point where someone goes like, okay, cool, fake. Like I get this currency for skins I can't buy anything with. Like, what yeah. is going to be the end game there? Are they going to make some of the FOMO skins just devolve into yeah. Overwatch one paid skins after like two years and say like, ah, we've run the we've run the ringer out. No one's going to pay twenty dollars for a uh, brig skin where she's wearing a Hawaiian hat. Shit, I guess we're gonna have to sell it with Overwatch one currency for like fifteen thousand or something. There you go. Um, so this is this is something I want to actually talk about really quickly. And it's just I think it demonstrates this whole issue. I have bought two of the battle passes, I think, uh, because I wanted to get the new characters. Hearing mm -hmm. this, you might raise your eyebrow. And the reason is I did not realize the new characters need to do that. <laughs> were separate from the battle pass. And the reason is whenever you play a game without the battle pass, you level up and it like goes slowly and you blow through all these rewards and at a certain point it looks like every reward in front of you is locked because it will say this reward is not included with this level of the battle pass or with the public battle pass or whatever so mm -hmm. obviously logically i thought i'm on i i got all of the rewards up to level 10 but then every reward after this has been locked minus some like random win quotes and like a graffiti, like a spray or whatever. OK, so if if what's his name, if Life Weaver is character 45 is like rank 45 in the battle pass, the way I thought it worked was you buy the battle pass, you play as you get to play as Life Weaver up during this season but you don't unlock him permanently until you get to level 45. That is how I thought it worked. And I thought it was oh, like, that wouldn't make, yeah, brutal. I thought it was brutal because obviously afterward, you know, everyone says like, well, after, after the season, like a certain amount of time later, it unlocks for everyone. So I was thinking like, oh, if I want to play, like, I, I don't remember exactly what season we're on, but like, let's say Life Weaver came out in season two. I'm like, okay, if I want to play Life Weaver, in season three, I need to finish unlocking him now after buying the battle pass because he doesn't go public until season four. I thought that was how it worked. And there are tons of people who think that is how it works. It's incredibly and confusing. That, yeah. Confusing, and that I, is I a problem. Yeah. There's uh, I would say if if there was a way to summarize, I think the biggest or if there was a way to summarize the 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 multitude of why overwatch 2 is this almost black hole like problem creator it most of it almost all of it comes down to one very very simple outcome or very very simple failure on the company which is just communication this company with almost all of its heart all of its money all of its pressure all of its force all of its everything it has will not communicate it doesn't want to it has no interest in doing it and it actively spitefully punishes you when it tries to communicate like it cannot muster the energy to just say shit to you explain anything and like the 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 pve was such a good example of how this is like you have 
there there were one two three four five different employees on for that overwatch stream and none of them uh so only two, obviously only two of them were announcing the end of PVE, but like even during the Star Watch stuff, nothing, nothing being said in those, in those conversations amounted to anything. Like even when they talked about Star Watch, it was mostly just reactionary, uh, uh, reactionary, com like, uh, outbursts. Like it was so much fun to do this. I hope everyone enjoys this. I got to push myself and have a good time. And it's like, I just tell me what you did to make shit. Tell me like why you decided to put turrets in places. Not just saying like, well, we think it would be fun for the community. No, no, like oh, the curse what was your of motive? patch notes. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? What do you like? Give us some kind of insight here. Like, I don't. I hate to to sound like one of those people, but like there was there was some kind of almost uh, uh, enjoyable experience to listen to the developer note or developer um dialogue when it was like uh when jeff was giving them he would have these like little five minute videos where he'd be like hey i'm gonna explain why we're changing symmetra's gun you see we found out that it's really uh unpleasant for people to have a character that just auto locks onto them around corners and beats their ass cheeks in we think that it might not be fun so we're gonna actually just uh change that around and it should be okay because we're just doing it based on zarya's beam which is something everyone else seems to also like so that seems fine like just explain shit tell me why you're doing things just some kind of understanding beyond just like even the blog post is such a hollow worthless way to interact with the community a community which is like incredibly frustrated with you because you just previously came out and said like just completely fumbled communication so like you then go and write a communication that is like distant hollow and detached from the community from yourself right it's a blog post i don't know if you wrote it i don't know if fucking chat gdp wrote it probably uh, it's just like i don't know just uh, why is communication so hard with this company and in every every way like even the coins the coins is such a bad thing where they never really came out and said like oh shit sorry we had plans to actually give back currency in the battle pass but it turned out big wigs didn't like that so we had to change it but we forgot to change the icon so whoops a doodles yeah. we'll fix that right now our bad like just some ownership responsibility some kind of insight into like who's what is happening at the overwatch team when i think of that team i think of it like I don't I think it's like two people inside of a very big empty office and they're both kind of like <laughs> taking breaks between like they're both of them are doing their job but then every so often they'll each like take a break to cry and like that's the rotation that goes on and then at the end of the season we get new stuff like seriously how what what happens in the Overwatch team I don't know I don't I don't understand what any decisions being made are what's the focus what's the goal what's the passion Do, when people are making skins are they even happy that their skins are being sold for 20 bucks and half the community doesn't even bother like is it does that make them feel good tell me something like I don't, it's just like it's so it is so detached and hollow that like it's a it's impressive that fortnite feels like it has more community com, uh, communication to players and it doesn't it has absolutely nothing to do with play it like basically shows up and like a there's, giant there's... bird vomits <laughs> into the community and says like here's all the content and then flies away as if it has done some kind of majesty but somehow people still i don't know it just it still feels like there's more engagement there than overwatch there there is a weird depression depressing aspect to just like finding like 
like tracing back the roots of the Minotaur Rhine skin and finding like the gay Barra artist on Twitter that makes that design that character years ago. And it's been this big, long process to leading up to this big release. Then it was in the store for a week and it's gone forever. Bye. Yeah. Like, does, <laughs> does the artist feel good about that? Because I, I, mean, I the can tell doesn't you that Blizzard I, I anymore, know. So. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, like, I, you know, like, it's just the thing of like, I can tell you that skin designers for Overwatch 1 love the skins they make. They would go on Twitter all the time when they released and be like hyped and talking about it and being like, you know, thanks for, you know, everyone wearing the skin. I love seeing that. They don't see that shit anymore now. Like people who make skins make these skins like 20 years in advance and they come out like, yeah, like you said, Keith, they're just on the store for a day and then they go away and no one ever talks about it or thinks about it because it's just part of the giant sludge of content pump. And it's that I don't know. It's so sad and depressing. I just I, 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 I liked Overwatch because there was like some kind of like the world and itself was just kind of this bubbly aspect. It was a lot of silliness, just like. The idea that some socially awkward, clearly scared man came on every month and told me about patch notes <laughs> and it looked scared. like he was going to cry. He was yeah. Jeff looked like terrified to be in front of the camera every time he was. He looked just frightened. And I can understand it's a scary thing when you're going to put your face in front of what basically is the most visual community of gamers I've ever met. And like, I, it's just it's just impressive to like go from that. And then you have like you have a guy who i don't know it's just like he, he doesn't he seems like he's so busy he can't even take the time to explain why he's so busy it's like i just what? love the idea that jeff, of jeff kaplan like characterized as like a fucking hostage negotiator <laughs> like if you go seriously if you go and look at the first like the first developer whatever they call it developer diary i think this, like if you look at the first the developer diary introverted like world of warcraft developer yeah. had to be the lead for a, a shooter <laughs> yeah exactly like he literally just was just a guy who's like i just i thought it would be kind of cool if we gave heroes like wow abilities and then somehow <laughs> i'm leading this thing and like and then it, but he like goes on later to become like the vice president of blizzard but it's still the idea of like i it's hilarious the uh, uh, hilarious to see it almost feels grassroots uh overwatch one from like conception to execution and overwatch two's conception from to execution has been almost too corporate it's been so like monolithically monopolous and uh distant from you like it doesn't want yeah. to engage with you it doesn't want you to know anything it just wants you to consume and stop talking and thinking and just that battle pass skin looks really fucking tasty, doesn't it? What if you put it in your mouth and lick it? And it's like, I don't, why would I do that? And it's like, well, this guy worked really hard on it for like 20 years and he loves his skin. It's like, oh, okay, well, I, I kind of feel like maybe I'll put my put it in my mouth then. But like, I don't want to do it because some company is like... strategy. You can't yeah, help that yeah. Mario looks so tasty. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, and that's like a, like, I, I don't know. I Those are the things that I liked about Overwatch 1 specifically. I really liked... Like I watched every developer diary, even though I it was funny as hell and hard and distracting because Jeff just clearly isn't built to do that. But the uh, but it's like the the fact that he would explain stuff made a lot more sense to me. Like I would get upset about changes and then watch the developer diary, and Jeff is just like hardcore going into like no no we had to change it because you guys suck at this character <laughs> like we have stats that prove you couldn't even play like win a, a match with this character so we have to yeah. change it and i'm like oh 
well okay well i guess that's i guess if jeff's got the numbers then the man's got fucking proof that you all suck at this character i guess we have to change it like <laughs> it makes more sense than just i i hate the the what it currently is now where it's just yeah we're changing life weaver what you did what what do you mean you're changing you just came out with this character why are you changing it it's like well well what's people kind of complain crazy about that and it's like yeah. that <laughs> what? <laughs> what's kind of crazy about that too though is that it will be like we're changing life weaver and it's like okay and instead of describing the strategy behind why they're changing out life weaver it's just like a glut like a like a like a vomit stream of like we made each one of his petals in in, in thorns rush or whatever the hell is like left click is is like yeah we, we made it so that uh it does 4.5 damage instead of three so this will make him stronger and it's like okay but like what what leads to that decision other than just like increasing numbers like just turning the dials doesn't it doesn't explain that like the issue people were having is that they were trying like people felt compelled to engage with damage as life weaver instead of using his healing tools or like you know like things like that like there's no strategy yeah. behind it it's literally just like and we gave him a double jump because people felt the controls were weird um and, and his dash heals around you and we also took away his most defining mechanic his drop health on death um and, and we made it so that his heel blossom does like 65 instead of 50 and it's like okay why though and like they don't yeah like they don't deserve... they don't say like we took away we took away his health drop because it made people it shifted the comp to dive whenever life weaver was around so it over centralized the meta of the game and we needed to design around that yeah uh no yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that's, literally that's it's literally just it's literally just we sw we swapped his numbers hope you like it and it's like uh tell me how we're supposed to play this game please yeah and i think that was the uh those are uh, when, when you have a game that is constantly updating like this game like oh, like fortnite updates in a unique way right because fortnite doesn't really change like the guns you get are just the same guns everyone gets everyone has access to the fucking bfr or whatever and so when you change how a weapon works you can be that distant from it because everyone gets the update you don't need to like talk about it the, the it's just the way that it is now um but overwatch has unique characters and flows to the game and people do get attached to like a very specific character and play style of that character and it changes and defines the way that you would pick them or build teams and like so much of the game is focused around characters that when you make changes to them you do in a way have to justify that more than you would in something like call of duty or fortnite um or destiny and it's uh and i think that's something that just got overlooked where it's like this is what everyone else does i think we'll be okay and or it's just an or a case of like we don't have time sorry we just don't have time to talk about it we have to change the numbers we also still got to get the skin out tomorrow because god for fucking bid we don't release the skin we've been holding on to for 16 months and fucking the store that changes every week like it's just there's so many deadlines in overwatch 2 that i kind of just feel concerned like is there is someone doing yeah. a checkup on the on the development team are they like are they happy are they okay are they like, well, they have thing. tremendous like, think... churn. They have a lot of people leaving the company, so 100% they're not well, that, happy. And... But that happens for, like, multitude of reasons. A bad economy, lawsuits, fucking, like, better opportunities elsewhere. Like, there's there's a lot of reasons people leave, but the important part is more about 
what right now is the focus and goal of the com uh, of the developers what is the passion what are they excited about coming out like i just don't i don't know anything except for like i hope you guys stay tuned look well, okay <laughs> stay tuned for what <laughs> like what am i what am i waiting six months for what am i gonna see in 10 years like what is overwatch <laughs> going to be um and i can't even understand the like the rationale between why does life weaver exist who is he here for what is he compensating for what is he yeah like like toaster said just tell me like why, what do you want with this character what do you want me to do with him why are we ch changing his kit so dramatically is there like are, are there meta requirements that aren't being met is like is you know he just not panning out to be the the yeah. all-star uh side support he was destined to be built for like what is because i don't have any idea or insight into the de designs of anything in overwatch 2 i can just go on the assumption that like oh uh, no one thought about it really hard and it just came out and now it's shit and so i can kind of like yeah. I, I don't know it's just i can kind of dismiss a lot of uh i could chalk up a lot of bad parts of overwatch 2 to just you know mismanagement or passionless devs or corrupt game company because there is no there's no i guess essentially heart and soul being pro projected to me about this game yeah and i don't i not to be mean but like skins aren't heart and soul uh, it no. a skins not a game does not make it's like the mechanics of a game and all i ever fucking hear about this game is battle pass which is just full of skins souvenirs voice lines and cosmetic stuff i yeah and then the other time i hear about this game is from content creators upset about patch updates and saying like it's over brig is too fucking strong every tank might as well just quit the game and i'm like i this cannot be how this game is this cannot be reasonable and i think back to overwatch one and like this this content existed but i didn't bother with it because i had an official source that told me what the fuck i should be thinking about it yeah. had a, a like a guy who was there telling me like you know almost like doing the thing in um uh, always sunny where he's slapping the board like almost crazy it's like i could promise you like 17 percent <laughs> of symmetra players just fell into a well because they didn't know how the teleport works so we're changing it so it shows an arrow in the direction it comes out of like like things like that are just way more compelling to me than like a guy who's just playing video like video footage of himself playing overwatch saying like yeah well you know jeff woke up one morning and like shat himself and said actually i think it's because sim players are garbage at the game that's why i shit myself this morning and so they changed sim to be a worse character and now i think just sim should never be played Fuck this guy. Fuck this stupid fucking well, guy. I don't want to hear stuff about anything from this guy. But he's the only person that's going to sit down and talk to me about Overwatch 2. And that's like the most yeah. frustrating thing to me is like just just talk to me. Sit down. Figure. Hire a guy. I'm sure there's a guy out there who's sitting there with a beautiful face, a good personality, and the charisma of like whatever gold bars are to poor people. And I bet you he can talk about Overwatch 2 and get people excited about things, even if it's shitty. But you need somebody to do that. You need a goddamn voice or a face to the game. You can't just have... I, you can't just have this assumption or ride off the coattails of like the goodwill that overwatch one built like you need you need to maintain it you have to keep it going it's just and they tried i know that they tried because it like when overwatch 2 came out they had a couple of other developer diaries but they quickly stopped them because it, it was obvious that they wasn't getting the same reception or alternatively it was very obvious that like they didn't have time to make these anymore like oops the crunch is coming around the corner we're gonna got a, all hands on deck um 
but yeah, yeah. it's just that that's that's my big yeah. thing that's my biggest thing i don't care about the pve as much as i care about the fact that i don't know why it was canceled i don't know where it was in development i don't even know like what the next thing is because they didn't even fucking talk about it they didn't sit down there and say like okay look we're canceling the mode where you pick your stupid abilities sorry about that but let's just have a real talk bad idea wasn't gonna work however look at this shit and you can like slap the board and go like we made a whole new map it's called fa 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 and it's located in some volcano and guess what it's super fucking cool and it, this is going to be your first story mission is going to be uncovering the mystery of fa 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 and it just I, just something something they more had than a, just going up like they yeah, did desperately really they did desperately need to unveil what we are getting immediately in the <laughs> yeah. same announcement so that the narrative wouldn't immediately be untrue basically which is that all of it's yeah. gone forever and this is and there's nothing to show for it because they they left it in a they, vacuum they, of like so yeah that, that star watch is pretty good right just not reading the room yeah. and then being like so anyway star, star watch Bye. that thing that that people hate. Yeah. <laughs> i mean it's just it gets i think that is a good cap off to this discussion right is that like and and i want to tie this back into kind of what i was saying earlier and it's just the current state of Overwatch 2 is extraordinarily frustrating, and it's because, and this is just my experience, but I think with what Andrew said, we kind of all agree on this. Playing Overwatch 2 is an experience in largely just being confused and disorganized all the time, really not knowing what you need to do to get better or what you can do to, to help things, and often feeling punished for trying to even get a grasp of what is going on. Uh, and it's almost impossible to track any individual piece of the whole. And the very same thing that uh, uh, can be said about how they communicate and tell us about Overwatch 2 and the state of Overwatch 2 as a game oh, yeah. being developed. It all, it's all just, <laughs> it's just chaos. It's just confused <laughs> yeah. and, and directionless and constantly moving in, in, in different ways that just contradict and conflict with each other. And it just feels like even outside of our group of like six people that play overwatch pretty regularly it seems like overwatch as a game just is confused about what how what it is what it even wants to be or how you're supposed to play it and that is probably the least confidence inspiring thing about this whole debacle is that no one knows and whenever they try to tell us something it's just more confusing and nothing gets communicated <laughs> yeah i i it's yeah i i yeah i agree i 100 percent agree that is exactly my frustration with this game and i i hope they can fix it i hope i like again just just hire a guy you know just get a pr team or something i maybe you now that you've removed half of the team from hero mode get some money back and buy a that is PR extremely guy. optimistic no, I know. It's I, realistically, it's never going to happen. This was, is just no. I mean, like the hero mode team was definitely gutted to almost no one already. There's no. They're not getting yeah. new yeah, people so, from it now. Whoever, whoever that one guy is left, that's just sitting there <laughs> alone, sad. Just have him do it because you know what? That's the energy I want. I want a depressed, sad, scared guy to come back and teach me about Overwatch again. Just I, I don't. I just don't. Yeah, I, I just don't understand what the what they want, and I hope. I hope they figure it out. But also, it's important for me, or at least I, I feel it's important based on the discourse from PVE problems to remind people that there is like a 
that uh, there's a big chain in command here, and it, it, the, the guy who made the skin for Overwatch it has about as much control over the store that it's located in and the character that he even made a skin for. Uh, he has as much control about that as as much control you have about when you're going to die. It's like he has none. There's basically no control. It's just going to happen. Um, and so, like, just like if you're, you know, if you're going to be upset anybody about Overwatch 2 and be upset to anybody, just go at the fucking CEO of Blizzard on Twitter because that's the guy you should be yelling at. Uh, he gets yeah. paid plenty of money to endure your attacks. Trust me. I promise you. Um, but, like, it's, but it, that's the thing is like you can't. Uh, I, I guess it's just it's frustrating knowing that realistically this is just the way it will be this is the way it is and i just have to endure this because it's art it's it's heartbreaking to to so to feel like the way toaster does is just load up the game and go like man i wish i could just uninstall this game and then wipe it from all human consciousness yeah. and just pretend like this never <laughs> happened like i wish we could just move on with our lives with this game never existing because it's i just it's so much it's so exhausting every time and it, it is um it is very bad for my mental health but I yeah. play it because I'm good at it. it no, it, it, mean, it truly is. It truly is I, a terrible I'm game. I'm right there with like, you. I'm right there with you, Andrew. And, like, uh, I mean, at, in my heart of hearts, all I want is to be able to play a game with my friends because I like you all and I like playing games with you. And I just want I want to not be the one guy in the group that doesn't play first-person shooters, right? And I like the idea of playing, partying up, and playing a game together really really makes my weekend like i truly cherish being able to just hop on at the end of the day even if we're not streaming even if we're just playing games together do you know how rarely yeah. i get to fucking play games just on my own like right now with recording we're all in this boat and like i just want to have something that i can play with you all that does not make me want to just burn throw my computer into a landfill and like <laughs> Overwatch 2, no matter what I try, no matter how calm and zen and level-headed I try to be while I play it, like, it has been a losing battle trying to even enjoy my time in this game, especially lately. And I thought that maybe switching to quick play or unranked or whatever would make things better because I could just focus on playing the game and spending time with you all, but... And I'm not saying this is anything that you all are doing. It's truly just the game. But I just feel like dead weight. I feel like everything I do ruins yeah. the game. It makes me feel terrible. It makes me feel dumb. No matter what I try to do, it doesn't work. And like I, I just don't see myself getting better. And it's a terrible experience every time. And it's not even it's not you guys' fault. Like you guys are it's I mean, I'm not even saying strategy wise. I'm saying like you all have been incredibly supportive and helpful trying to get me better at this game. And I think I have improved over time, but I don't think it's been enough. And I don't think that, uh, I just think the game isn't. And in, at the end of the day, it just doesn't feel good to play. It makes me feel bad. And I go to bed angry when I play it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I am sort of more or less in the same boat. Uh, I, what it took me to do is stop playing what as a much uniquely depressing like thing to hear no, <laughs> just of, of a video game <laughs> like yeah, yeah but it, 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 i think i think it's probably an experience that a lot of people share if if you try to be <laughs> to, to to you know be better at the game instead of just enjoying it uh and yeah what it took me to do was to stop playing competitive as much and uh and just practice in in uh, quick play because in quick play like everybody sucks so it's like see it just it sucks with funny. them i had the them. 
I had the opposite. I think when I play competitive, I am happier because when I'm mad, I have like justification for it because I am in a competitive based situation. I am trying my best, pushing myself as hard as I can, and then I'm either winning or losing and it sucks to feel that. But when I'm in quick play and I feel like I have to push as hard as I do in competitive, but my reward is absolutely not the same because it's just a fucking quick play match like that drives me bonkers that pisses me it's off very so much. rare i i get uh, well for me it's very rare that quick play is hard at all ever like it's so i play nothing but fucking sweaty quick play matches i swear oh. i just show up and there's just like last tracer genji and they're last night was intense yeah it's it was all quick like, play dude, and I, it was so high effort but also colonel what yeah. are you doing colonel what are you doing I thought, we were, I thought we were cooperating to start up the conversation so that it would peter out and we could end the podcast because it's past yeah. your bedtime oh. and you just started introducing <laughs> new topics. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, the you betrayal. Go to bed. <laughs> I am. I am. I, it was yeah, time to I'm stop sorry, like yeah, half I'm an hour ago. And Colonel's like, don't forget about me in chat. And then you're like, what are you? No, stop, Colonel. <laughs> you're saying more. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about me. <laughs> Colonel Andrew just loves talking on, to Andrew's us his, too much. You're gonna, you're gonna send Andrew in another 40 minute slam poetry session. <laughs> it's very easy, very easy. You gotta be careful. Anyway, thanks for watching, like always, guys. Uninstall Fortnite. Uh, please, please make sure to not do that. Actually, because Fortnite is an incredibly large game. Please keep it installed until you die. I, I meant to say Overwatch. I just fucking I didn't even mean to say Fortnite. <laughs> I'm not even thinking about Fortnite. <laughs> I hate yeah, that please, that's, you oh can man, uninstall I Overwatch. I do not like that Overwatch not, and Fortnite are in the same part of my brain. Apparently, that's not yeah. That's not do a good not, note yeah. for the four the the four Overwatchers. Here's I'm here's the only an idea. person on the it, planet who still sincerely enjoys Overwatch, and I wish other people would too. But they're not helping me with that <laughs> as a game. But anyway, here's an idea. Know. Instead uh, of buying the Overwatch Two Battle Pass this season. Take your twenty dollars and up your pa your Keith Patreon <laughs> subscription to his five dollar tier, and then and sub just to watch me, me enjoy it Colonel, and Andrew on Twitch. That's a better twenty use of your twenty dollars than God, buying the Overwatch Two Battle Pass. My Overwatch Two video essay thumbnail just crystallized. It's just I'm just gonna have to commission some a furry artist to draw like Hammond sitting at the this is fine like burning table. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thumbnail. All right, see you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye.